0: this episode of how to wrestling was requested by lucas brown one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling and hey there's never been a better time to back our show over on the old patreon page you've got over a hundred pay-per-view reviews going all the way back to 2015 we cover wwe aew and the occasional nxt show in there as well as well as that you've got our fabulous side series pay-per-view classic recent examples of that include our banner wrestlemania 17 episode survivor series 1990 98, wcw halloween havoc 95 a whole slew of in your houses with brett the hitman heart and our most recent offering an unprecedented non-dubbed version of ecw heatwave 1998 joe finally got to experience paul e dangerously's creation as intended and we had a whale of a time our most recent episode that's available for you to listen to our survivor series 2021 episode with lots of egg chat and aew's full gear 2021 we are 100% fan and listening. Supported, so thank you to everyone who has backed us over on the patreon page but for now here we are finally it's time to talk about chicago's other favorite son it's the one and only best in the world it's time for how to cm punk Welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling, and today's episode is one that has loomed over this podcast very, very large ever since this podcast began. Today, it's time to finally talk about the best in the world, CM Punk. Hello, once again, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, joined as I am by the best co host in the world, huh? It's Joe Graham.
1: Hello, I think you're gonna make some enemies out of our friends by saying that about me. Well, you're officially saying I'm oh, the best. I well, mean, Adam, Billy, and Sam. You're going to hurt their feelings, I'm just saying.
0: But if I called any of them the best, then I'd hurt your feelings. You'd hurt my feelings,
1: and I would dump you as well.
0: That's it, like, so here we are, talking about CM Punk. Finally, (laughs) I feel this is is one which I know, like, really early on, because when we started this podcast, it was in the height of when this particular wrestler was on an extended sabbatical. Little did we know it would last 2,766 days, but here we are in 2021. Is that how- Th- That's how long the sabbatical lasted.
1: Is that like a known thing or is that like-
0: I saw on a sign in a crowd when he oh, came I, back. I wasn't
1: sure if you had like a little ticker in your head. No, like...
0: someone else did and I just absorbed that information. Like. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, before we get into obviously the life, the times, the career, the, the personality and everything that comes with it with this this wrestler, um, what was it that you knew about CM Punk before this episode? I feel like his name was kind of constantly brought up, not necessarily on this podcast, but on, like, people yeah. talking to you and, like... It felt like it it was on every wrestling fan's lips was the kind of the the wooden thing they wanted was a CM Punk kind of to return or to be in wrestling again.
1: It's funny that you mentioned that he hasn't really come up on this podcast because like, I feel that's a very relevant and interesting point about him. Yeah. In that, you know, considering this is a wrestling podcast, and we don't just talk about WWE, we talk about the whole of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And yet he has come up so little. And yet he is such an important cultural figure in the industry
0: yeah i try to think if in terms of episodes where he would have appeared like the Cole cabana episode is obviously one that that springs to mind but
1: not in terms of matches it was no it was a court case yeah
0: and i i kind of worried i think that came across at the end of last episode that it's like well i'm not necessarily the world's biggest cm punk fan and i worried that the fact that you had only known of him vis-a-vis being involved in a court case, which mm. ended out pretty poorly, just in terms of the personal relationship between, you know, Rasy that we did an episode on that you were you were quite fond of, and Cole mm. Cabana. I just wonder, like, you know, the fact that we had we had him kind of pop up. I believe it would have been in the the Cole Cabana episode about mm. the kind of the trial and stuff like that, which obviously the least fun things in wrestling to talk about yeah. are criminal trials.
1: And I feel like he didn't come across particularly well.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I wasn't particularly trying to make him come across particularly no, well. No, that's you not know? the point
1: of an episode about Colt Cabana. Yeah. It was about Colt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of, like, what I knew about him before this episode, you know, not much because he hasn't really popped up. And it's not just a case of, like, oh, he's not popped up on this wrestling podcast because, you know, we've chosen not to talk about him. It's like... It's, he's such an interesting figure in the industry, in that he, he's had such an impact, and yet the main company that is known for hiring him has tried so hard to not make him have an impact and like almost ignore his impact.
0: It is, so, it's, yeah, it's amazing that WWE, who are like in 2021 at, at least, very concerned with promoting stars and ideas of mm. the past. You know, we're we're talking about is the year where the biggest thing they had to say to build up for Survivor Series 2021 is go check out Survivor Series 1997 on the WWE Network where Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels had a screw job.
1: But like, it's yeah. So I didn't know much about him before Mm. this episode. Uh, I knew he was grumpy. I knew he took himself like really seriously and that people, people often call him bitter. Right. Yeah. I wasn't really sure why I assumed it was something to do with the WB being kind of shit, but also him being maybe a bit entitled. I knew he did a poo in the ring. That was honestly, that was (laughs) the main thing that he did a pipe bomb and it was a poo in the ring.
0: (laughs) I mean, those words when they're thrown around like bitter... And, oh i know, know he's straight edge oh you know straight edge
1: yeah i know he's straight edge because that's his gimmick isn't it
0: yeah yeah well, i mean gimmick lifestyle uh yes life creed whatever you want to call it extends into wrestling gimmick as, as well yeah uh and just in case anyone happens to not know straight edge what does that mean
1: oh right so straight edge um it means that you don't partake in drugs and alcohol mm, basically mm. it's the long and short of it and it's a, like it's a lifestyle choice it's like a It's an identity, basically. And so back in the day, you'd put an X on the back of your hand. This was a big thing when you and I were growing up. Oh, yeah, definitely. straight edge lifestyle. I'm assuming
0: that you knew people who were straight edge. Absolutely, yes. I still do know people who are straight edge. Yes, likewise.
1: It's not... I don't think these days it's... As much about the identity as it used to be. I think now it's just about kind of like your personal choice and it's a bit like your lifestyle choices. But back when we were teenagers, it was very much like a, it was part of a clique, if yeah. anything. It was like the straight edge group and they'd all hang around together. And I mean, obviously, you can see why, because like back in the noughties, if you didn't drink, there was pretty much a you know you're on your own
0: particularly if you're time about the you know live music scene punk rock rock. i'm
1: sure wrestling knowing what i know about ecw and stuff like that so like yeah it's um it's an interesting one i have often wondered if part of the reason why people don't like him is because he's straight edge (laughs) because i know like straight edge kids are kind of annoying i'm well you're
0: gonna have to expand on that because like i was gonna be very even-handed be like i had a good mate who was uh was straight edge yeah and you know i've not talked to him for a few years you know i moved away from 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 my homeland and all that so i've not been in touch but like he was genuinely probably the night like the nicest just most yeah. you know absolutely couldn't do enough for you just a kind loving lad mm. that being said he was absolutely aware that straight edge had certain connotations in certain groups because you know my brother he played in like kind of you know punk bands and stuff like that so he he kind of would be telling me that not necessarily all straight edge people are cut from the same cloths. It means different things to different people. Yeah. And I think regardless if you are very militantly straight edge or if you're just kind of like, oh yeah, it's part of who I am or whatever, I don't think anyone would liked in that particular group being put in a little box and said straight edge means that you're, like, angry and you're fucking, you know, mm. you're, you're you're Mr. No Fun or whatever it may be. That's not necessarily the case, I guess.
1: Oh, it's, like, it's a difficult thing to talk about without actually understanding the scene at the time because, like, I think these days there's a lot more sensitivity around things like alcohol addiction and abuse and stuff like that and so I yeah feel, that might
0: have a can you circle around to you saying annoying maybe like why right, so, <laughs> why it could have been perceived in certain groups you're not saying that straight edge people nope, are annoying i'm but, not okay and i'm not
1: saying that all straight edge people are annoying i'm saying that straight edge kids that you and i might have grown up around yeah could be or come across as annoying i mean i they because, definitely kind of like
0: had like and um people who didn't like them let's yes. just say yeah
1: Because here's, you know, in my instances, these were teenagers. Obviously, these people are all adults now, but like these are teenagers who know what they want in life. They've made a decision about their lifestyle and their health, and they're confident in that. And I think that really pissed a lot of people off. Yes. Because what the fuck kind of teenager are you making decisions about your
0: health? And also, I think from you know my knowledge of straight edge people would be more like when I was in university and stuff like that. I know a lot of people got very open arms about, like, they thought they were being judged. They wouldn't say, I think you're judging me, but they would get kind of ornery and pissed off in a way that you kind of only get when you think, oh, this person's better than me, or they think they're better than me, or something like that. And, you know, I'm sure maybe there are some straight-edge folks out there who are like, guess what, I'm better than you. Mm. But outside of wrestling gimmicks, I've never seen it in anyone who I've known who was straight-edge. It's kind of like just, you know, I think a lot of times it gets put on them and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I I feel that totally. I think a lot of people who maybe on some level realize they don't have a healthy relationship with drugs or alcohol and then they see these people who are like so happy in their decision and like really happy in their lifestyle and they've got friends and a community and stuff like that and they're, you know, they're very vocal about their decision in life Mm -hmm. and I think that can make you feel a bit like, okay,
0: a bit smug. So here's a question then. Seeing as you had like kind of your experience of you know people who were straight edge when you were a kid and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but I've
1: got to point out.
0: As a kid, being a straight as edge a teenager, teenager, and
1: I, this isn't like eighteen. This is under I'm, eighteen. I'm straight years edge. Old.
0: I don't have identification. Yeah. I don't have a passport. I can't buy alcohol. I can't smoke. I don't know anyone who can get me drugs. Yeah. So
1: when I was uh, familiar with the straight edge thing, it would have been earlier i mean this is the thing right so i feel like trends take a while to get over to the uk yeah. so i think all of this is probably a bit more relevant in america a bit earlier than mine. oh experience. definitely yeah
0: yeah but like
1: yeah when i was 16 years old it was the thing to put big crosses on the back of your hands to to live shows yeah to show that you know because sometimes they wouldn't let you in because they would think that you would try buy alcohol and stuff <laughs> And if you did that and you were straight edge, then you weren't a risk and stuff like that. So it was like a whole thing. So even though, obviously, you couldn't drink because you're underage, yeah. you're not going to drink because you're underage. So here's a
0: question, like, you know, one of the reasons, I guess, when we were doing the research for this and, you know, punk, it's trying to throw a net over this man's career has is, yeah. is, is been quite challenging to say the least. But I'm really glad that we've kind of, we've done at this point, not least the fact that he's returned and there's kind of not necessarily an end, but at least a bookend of sorts to to a part of his career or that sabbatical. I always just kind of think, you know, you've you've been doing this podcast for many years now. We've seen some pretty dizzying highs and put some pretty dark lows in terms of the impact of drugs and alcohol and the lifestyle, inverted commas. I feel an episode doesn't go by where we don't make at least some reference to the way things are now versus the way things were back then knowing that about cm punk was that like you know the the straight edge lifestyle not being you know something about him did you expect that to be part of his gimmick did you expect that to be part of the wrestling identity and was that intriguing for you that there would be a straight edge character in the notoriously drink and drug filled world of professional wrestling I mean,
1: not really.
0: No. Is that why? bad? No, I'm just wondering why. Like... Because it's
1: just like, of course you should do that. It's a great idea. It's fantastic. <laughs> so let's
0: say it's not exciting, it just it seems very obvious almost. Yeah, no, yeah. I'd, I'd
1: be annoyed if no one had done that. It's such a... I feel it's like... I I feel like a character like CM Punk is essential to shift, and I, I feel he probably did do this, although I'm not sure, but like shift the modern cultural landscape of professional wrestling in terms of... Those lifestyle choices, Mm. and I think probably you know, I don't know when exactly the line would have been drawn somewhere around the Attitude Era, where it's like suddenly drugs and alcohol aren't cool anymore. Later than that, honey. The wellness (laughs) testing and things like that, and suddenly you've got wrestlers who like, you know, their idea of partying is like doing ten thousand squats with their friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's like it's it's interesting with CM Punk, you know, and watching you know his documentary that came out back in the day listening to you know many interviews some with cole cabana which which kind of was awkward to go back to but he felt very strongly during the height of his run and during the height of his popularity and i think he still feels that now that he's returned into into wrestling is that he has a responsibility of sorts Mm. he feels it's on him or at least he feels very motivated to have to change the the industry to to move it from from where he it was at one point and move it into something different. Obviously, there's an element of CM Punk. You know, I think as you're saying, they're like changing kind of the the, the wrestling landscape in terms of the attitude to to, to drinking and drugs and all that. I think you know him being a very successful wrestler who wore that on his sleeve. He's not the first wrestler who was teetotal by any stretch to, to be a champion in wrestling or to be a big star in wrestling. You know, not the case. Bob Backlund, Triple H, Jerry Lawler, these are all big stars in wrestling who've never touched a, a, a drop of alcohol uh, to this day. But I think another thing that CM Punk thought was very important, and it was kind of a big part of his mentality, was to try and change generally the culture and the uh, the mindset, I guess, of professional wrestling.
1: In what way? Because that's like that's that's such a big proposition. Like it could mean anything.
0: Well, I think if we we get into kind of his career and where he where he came from and where he came into WWE at the point in time he came into and what wrestling was like when he left WWE in two thousand and fourteen. And we've talked a lot about you know Brian Danielson and you know, Samoa Joe, these big kind of names, indie stars who came in. But if you want to talk about like the first in terms of someone who became a superstar on the independent scene you know independent of any sort of scouting and all that just on his own volition became this big big name was signed to WWE got to keep his independent name gimmick identity and all that and then slowly tooth and nail crawled his way to the top of WWE and whether just by saying it or by WWE themselves wanting to will it into existence changing it so that we're no longer a company where the idea of hiring an independent wrestler is like an absolute terrible idea that will never ever happen in the world and this is the thing if we did this podcast like two or three years ago <laughs> the end of the story would be well WWE now has a pipeline to the indies they signed the big names almost to a, fa- a fault i would say and it kind of feels like now WWE has went around the other way where they yeah. have kind of gotten rid of that so cm punk did seem in many ways and we'll get into obviously usher in a different era But the sticking power of that and whether or not that was kind of on punk or just something that WWE played around with before going back to their old ideas of what's best, I mean, you know, it remains to be seen 2021. I don't know I don't know if if we'll be able to in this episode alone really actually get a finger on the impact that he had. Mm. Because I think he is someone that you could very easily overstate his impact. But much more easily you can completely ignore his impact. Mm-hmm. As WWE have done for the last seven and a bit years. So let's get into uh, talking about the life and times of CM Punk then, shall we? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about first and foremost his his look, because mm. we started looking at like his early days and stuff like that. It almost felt irrelevant to ask you about his look as a wrestler, because his look as a teenager, like it just immediately clicked with you, it felt like. <laughs> who was CM Punk the teenager?
1: He's that cool boy I would have had a crush on. (laughs) I'd be logging into Habbo Hotel, friending every boy with the cool Sum 41 hair.
0: And the ecf and W t-shirt. Fuck, I would have had a crush on him when I was a teenager. What is it about him? What's the the kind of the vibe of of young CM Punk?
1: He's just got like this punk rock, pop punk, like aesthetic and attitude. Mm. Like... Oh, I feel people are going to get annoyed with me for this, but he reminds me of, like, Blink-182.
0: She's got the stuff. biggest smile in the world, by the way, when you're saying this. Yeah, so, uh... I love
1: Blink-182, so okay. it's a big compliment. This is coming from a place of love. But he's kind of, like, angry and also, like, taking the piss out of things a lot. Like,
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a, a very... Um
1: pop-punk thing. Yeah, that's
0: where where it's kind of like, you are very cool and kind of serious to an extent, but also you know that you're kind of a little bit of a joker at heart. Like there is kind of a sense of humour there. Yeah. Kind of a twist to it all. We
1: hate everything, and so we're going to take the piss out of it.
0: Yeah, I think you'd have fun with him hanging out in a dump or something like that. Breaking car windows with a a baseball bat. I guess.
1: Probably a park. A park. I'm a a Cambridge girl, so (laughs) we don't hang around (laughs) dumps where I'm from.
0: (laughs) So I wonder, like... Is that something that? Because you know, seeing your face light up when you saw him, and I was kind of like, "Oh man, yeah!" Like I fucking I dressed like that for fuck's sake when I was his age. <laughs> did you have the hair though? I didn't have the hair. I oh, did Kevin. one one summer when I was fourteen. I did dye my hair very not black because my parents wouldn't allow it, but very, 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 very dark brown with red highlights, which I spiked up, and then spent all summer playing the sims and not bothering to buy any <laughs> hair gel so i was just there you know can i make my hair red in the sims not really no it's all right it's fine it's fine so like i wonder if if, if you think this is a generational thing almost because mm-hmm. cm punk for for you and i millennials of, uh, of, of a certain vintage that's definitely like we look at that and go yeah that's our guy right you know, yeah that, that's what we grew up around
1: yeah for the alternative kids definitely
0: but i feel like people who are older and probably people who are younger than us as well would similarly go that's our guy right there. That's what I kind of grew up like. I feel like his kind of, his niche, not that it's timeless, but it had a much longer time than a lot of other kind of niches.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's because, like, that, that style, it kind of spreads over into, like, a few different other subcultures in terms of like you know genres
0: of music yeah because like there's
1: there's grunge in there which obviously would have been like just before you and i have been growing up and then there's like a bit of pop punk which is more kind of like my generation there's an emo which would have been after my time exactly and then like even beyond then later if you look at like gen z like Obviously alternative kids today are not alternative in the way that they would have been when we were growing it's up. It's a
0: broader spectrum yeah. of alternativeness, yeah.
1: But like I still feel like those influences from, you know, emo, pop punk, grunge, all of that lot. It still has its hooks in a lot of alternative fashion today. Like I don't think mm. there's been much change in it. No, in definitely way.
0: not. And I would say though, you know, in terms of wrestling not many people coming from this kind of this not say lifestyle but like this kind of side of the tracks almost you know i feel like wrestling because it's a big body guy business you've got kind of athletes in there hey we've had no shortage of like you know freaks and different sorts and all that Mm. but i would be surprised if we had any other wrestler who we've sat down who was kind of very much that cm punk you know that teenager that we kind of related to mm. but also he still kind of invokes that even now much later on in, yeah, in life yeah he's like
1: 40 <laughs> yeah but he, he
0: still kind of you mentioned blink 182 he still kind of carries that flag i think that mm. he makes people kind of remember where they're from that's kind mm. of a big part of like because i think judging from the tweets people got like quite a personal kind oh yeah of, uh, uh, adulation or respect or relationship with CM Punk and I think that's a big part of it is, mm. is that kind of look his childhood and his upbringing were you kind of surprised at all or did you kind of anticipate that it would be as, as kind of fractured and as difficult an upbringing as he had
1: he didn't really talk much about his upbringing to be honest he mm. was quite vague he said he had issues with his family and that his mother his brother stole money or something or yeah. like his family was supposed to give CM Punk money and then his brother took it or also I don't know it was very vague uh so yeah no i didn't really expect him to have because he basically gets adopted by another family yes and he was very happy with that family and i didn't i didn't realize all of that like but it does kind of feed into more of like it made sense to me like the whole found family was a big thing again yeah like when we were growing up i think a lot of people were kind of feeling a bit more empowered to kind of reject the values of their own families and feel a bit more freedom to kind of like moving with friends yeah you know, stuff like
0: that but like doing a, you know when you're a teenager like he did mm-hmm. that's you know it's basically leaving home
1: and he, like he literally did get adopted like his his oh, yeah. parents now are not his biological parents
0: he's not really comfortable it seems talking about that obvious reasons why you mm-hmm. know i mean not every wrestler is very comfortable talking about their upbringing even if it's not as kind of uh stormy and whatnot as this is him talking about, you know, experiences with, like, his dad, for instance. And this was, you know, turned into a wrestling storyline later on because, of course, it was. But his dad was an alcoholic. Right. And, you know, we saw him describe what it's like as a kid. He's like, being picked up from, like, his little league game or something like that. And the dad's meant to be the fucking assistant coach. Mm. And he's, like, drunk out of his mind. And... Yeah, he
1: said he was just, like, literally throwing up constantly out of the car window.
0: And, you know, my immediate thought is like, good Lord, this guy's driving Little League kids home drunk. That's yeah. scary. And Punk's just like, I was so sad because I thought my dad was like really sick. He
1: thought he had a cancer yeah. or Yeah.
0: And that, that's obviously got to, I mean, it, it seems like kind of, oh, well, you know, I don't want to, you know, just funnel down someone's entire life choices into like one, one or two incidents, but it's stuff like off, that's so going to... Yeah. If you think, if you're,
1: if you think your parent is sick and then you find out that the sickness is alcohol... Then of course you're going to like lead into a lifestyle where you know you're going to avoid alcohol.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to see like how culture was really set up then to kind of you know if you are an interested kid it can kind of lead you by the hand because mm. you know he's got a shitty kind of experience at home his his home life is you know not not ideal it's been affected by alcoholism and all that you know he's he's an outcast in school he kind of gets made fun of for wearing you know kind of comic book shirts and you know uh music shirts and stuff like that he's reading magazines in detention and learning about you know straight edge groups like minor threat and stuff like that and like i i don't know i always i Stuart lee said this uh in, a, in his book about you know back in the day you know pre kind of internet day if you had wanted to pursue an interest or find a subculture you had to kind of like you had to find it. you had to do the research you had to like you know read stuff you had to find like-minded people finding them in real life was obviously quite difficult you had to go places you had to do things whereas like say now you and i wanted to really get into a certain subculture i mean you do a podcast called subcultured Mm. It's kind of a click or two away to find out everything there is to find out about it.
1: Oh, I, I disagree.
0: You really, I think, like though, by this kind of journey of discovery, that will get you into a subculture a lot more. That will kind of bring you into this world, be it straight edge or otherwise.
1: But I think because it was so hard to find out information, it was hard to truly involve yourself in certain subcultures yeah. because there wasn't necessarily a local community like what yeah where i was growing up it would have been really hard to find other straight-edge people to kind of hang around with yes yeah, yeah. there's a couple but like definitely not an actual community yeah
0: definitely and whereas I, think... I feel
1: like now because it's all there if you just look hard enough you know there are you you can be more confident in the knowledge that there are your people
0: yeah yeah i guess it's kind of the, the barrier to entry has been has been lowered somewhat but he gets involved into this kind of you know, um, you know into the scene. He starts seeing you know, these bands live, he starts making connections. His other love at the time as well is wrestling. And I'm sure as soon as you saw him with his spiky hair and his ECW t-shirt that the world of backyard wrestling, was not too far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Punk's kind of experiences in the world of backyard wrestling and how he got involved with it? What do you think about?
1: It's very, again, it's very relatable.
0: <laughs> Former backyard ice queen Joe Graham over here.
1: <laughs> so basically, him and some friends built their own wrestling ring out of like he said it was like out of yarn and like small <laughs> sticks. You
0: try running them ropes, like <laughs> yeah, Just
1: crush the whole thing. And then eventually they were like, oh, let's actually build a ring properly because they were like, they were realizing they were getting a bit of a of a crowd going. We got two shows. or three hundred people. Yeah, to see
0: self trained. Yeah, and they were kids. paying
1: to like to to see it and stuff. So they yeah, then they put their money towards a ring and then they were putting on proper shows. And he said they were getting like a thousand people turning up, which is like ten times more than the local wrestling, like actual wrestling promotion.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of it's riling up the scene the wrong way because you've got all these people over here who are like, I'm a I'm a promoter. I promote an actual you know Chicago local independent group and i have to pay talent to come in i have to pay you know the doctor and the athletic commission all this stuff and here there's a bunch of kids they didn't say it in like any kind of in anything that we saw but like i gotta feel that like i mean i guess the time is probably it's, it's earlier than all that because it would have been mid 90s but it's amazing to think that he was doing this type of thing before like the likes of jackass and stuff I like know. that which you know we've discussed before i think that was a big advent yeah. for you know anytime you or i had like kind of any backyard wrestling experience half the lads on the roster were just wanting to be bam Margera and jump off absolutely something, yeah you know so i'm impressed that punk managed to kind of get this going the uh, the lunatic wrestling federation as it was called <laughs> There was kind of a friction that started to develop, though, between Punk and the other guys at the wrestling group, and that was that Punk actually wanted to train. He wanted to get better. He thought that they could, because that's get the thing. More. Like,
1: their shows that they were putting on, they were less wrestling and more. Like death deathmatch, really, weren't they? Because they were like yeah. using lots of weapons and things, and it was like it was less moves and more they're attacks. S- they're
0: school kids.
1: Yeah, exactly. Can you
0: imagine that if you were wandering around Chicago on the West Side or whatever, and all of a sudden you look into a park and there's a thousand people watching. 15 and 16 year old kids beat the shit out of each like, other i think
1: that happened probably more than me many people realize yeah like, that's true the fact that that was something that like when i did it in vivery park in somerset like there were like nearly 200 people there like it it was it was the big park in the whole city and that's what the kids did it was like that was where the alternative kids went they went and did so the backyard loved. wrestling so i i think it's like quite i'm sure if that was happening in little old somerset yeah probably happening in many other places
0: it's it's definitely i don't think it's it's as much of a thing now you know no way now health and safety
1: gone mad yeah and all (laughs) rightfully so and also
0: i think there's a part of it where it's like if you hear about the lunatic wrestling federation and it's like you you see still images or video clips on a handheld camcorder of you know cm punk doing a split like moonsault on some twine onto a bale of hay or whatever it is that's one thing where, like, you see these days where it's like, you know, there's kids that'll do the same that you and I would have done when we were kids. Mm. But they're uploading, you know, episode one, season three onto YouTube, five hour supercard. Yeah. And it, it's it's all there. And it kind of takes away almost, there's a level of mystique, I thought, that yes, came with Backyard Definitely. Wrestling. Were you, like, at this point in our research feel like, hey, here's my guy fucking looking like a kid I would have hung out with, literally doing the things kids I hung out with do? Was he kind of getting in? Were you kind of getting into CM Punk at this point, I guess? I
1: mean, I don't, I get him. Mm. At this point, I was kind of like torn as to whether or not, you know, if, if we had been the same age, if we'd have gotten on as friends, like, I don't know if I'd have liked him.
0: He's a a prickly sort. Yeah, for sure. He seems even when talking, he's talking about him and a bunch of kids doing this kind of crazy wrestling show. Which, like, you think back, it's, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's amazing. It's mm. so fucking cool. And he's still bitter about it. Like, at that point, with this documentary where you watched him talk about it, it would have been, like, 2013 or whatever. But he's talking about, you know, the other guys who wouldn't get trained. And he's, like, you know, he's, he's riled up about it. Mm. And when he's talking about his brother, who was meant to be in charge of, like, the money and getting, you know, insurance and you know, deposits and stuff like that for us. He is he's he disavows his brother because he, yeah. he is not he's not my brother. He lists like five other people who are like more his brother than this person. Yeah. And that's something about Punk is that if you've wronged him or betrayed him, and friends of his have said this, like you will be sh- cut out of his life. Yeah. And I guess you can do that with like your mum and your dad and your brother, you know, another wrestler is pretty <laughs> fucking small pickings compared to that.
1: Yeah. I feel like I get where he's coming from with stuff like that. But also, I feel like you're not leaving people room to grow. Like you're kind of like then shutting off any possible remote chance there is that they might become a better person. Because he's
0: grown. Like exactly. He's, you know, I watched his promo uh, of him returning to AEW right before we sat down, and you know, watching that after watching you know clips and interviews from 2007 to 2013, it's like yeah he has grown Mm. other people can as well i guess yeah people
1: can change
0: i mean i'm not sure that if he's you know everyone who he's cut out will remain cut out forever but like that is kind of a pervasive thing it feels like he has an antagonistic quality to him Mm. that's not just like oh well people fuck him over and this shit bad shit happens to him it feels like yes that that is there and that's justified but i feel like he is kind of like angry plus at points throughout his career and i don't know are there many people we've come across in wrestling who like wear that on their sleeves throughout their career where it's like i'm pissed off about this i don't like this person you know i'm, I'm i am bitter you know about this particular thing
1: there's got to be people
0: I feel like people retrospectively get like that. They look back and go, ah, I should have been put over in this territory or I should have been a big deal. But I like mean, actively live at it being like, hello, right now, here I am in 2000 and whatever and I am bitter about about this thing.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I think people say that about Brett. But like these days, I think people realise that's not even remotely fair.
0: No. I mean, comparisons between... like Just before we get into the wrestling career, but temperament. I know. <laughs> people, people will say... <laughs> Bret Hart, he's bitter. bitter. CM Punk, he's bitter. Yeah. And I couldn't think of two more different guys. Are there comparisons there, do you
1: think? I think they're both right to be angry. <laughs> they were wrong.
2: Yeah, and they are,
1: they are right to be angry. I think it's a very valid emotion to have after the way they were treated. I don't think that makes them... You know, if it does make them bitter, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's fucking healthy.
0: Yeah, wrestling, the word bitter just usually means someone who is articulate about being wronged. Yeah, well, you know, know,
1: actions have consequences. So,
2: (laughs) you you
0: know, if you piss
1: someone off, they're going to be pissed off. So, I mean, yeah, I'd say that's a similarity, but I feel like... I don't know. It's, it is really difficult. I, I do feel like Brett's a lot of a softer guy than mm. CM Punk. Like, I feel like Brett wants to make friends ultimately and, like, rebuild bridges. Like, he wants to put the past in the past, bygones be bygones. You know, I can't think of anyone who he's not gotten on with who he hasn't, like, you know, become friends with again. You know, even Vince and yeah. Sean. Like, he, he gets on with them so well. You know, I don't think... Behind closed doors, he's probably not going, oh, yeah, they're the nicest guys in the world. But he's... He's fine with them. I think Bret Hart
0: is the example of like how to to build, rebuild bridges yeah. and move on. Like you know, you can be justified in your explosive anger, but you can come back and you know make amends if if you choose to do yeah. so. You know, I'm not saying and, everyone has to do that. No, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's
1: perfectly valid either way. But like you know, there's probably a reason why Bret Hart is looked at very fondly in the modern day, mm, and yeah. it's partly because of his willingness, I think,
0: to build bridges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Punk has already kind of thrown out his lot with the Lunatic Wrestling Federation that is not kind of on board with him wanting to become a proper wrestler. So he decides, right, I'm going to go. I'm going to find a wrestling school right here in Chicago. Steel Domain Wrestling, where he is trained by Ace Steel, who you have seen on a previous episode of this podcast. Oh, he was Donald Trump. (laughs) He was was Donald Trump, the 45th President of the United States of America. Ace of Steel. And he is quickly drawn to his fellow trainee, one Colt Boom Boom Cabana. And um it it made me sad to go back and revisit their friendship. It genuinely made me sad.
1: Yeah, it it is sad because they're clearly very good friends. Like, immediately, you can see what they see in each other. But they're so... They're, they're such a good pair. They are,
0: and they're so different, though. That's it. I mean, That's it, seen yeah. When you're a kid, you got this guy who's just come scrapping in fucking in the backyards. Thinks
1: everyone's out to get him. And
0: you got this other guy who's...
1: Lovely little good boy. Good,
0: good boy. Parents love him. Good boy from the suburbs.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> College athlete. Yeah. And, like, they... Brushes
1: his teeth every morning, every <laughs> night he's such a good boy and
0: like just seeing the two of them kind of you know train together yeah. get better together and like kind of develop each other's kind of skills and like because they are saying like they're interviewing Ace Steel in this WWE documentary and he's like Sam Punk is like he's one of the most unathletic people I'd ever trained.
1: Really, he's
0: like the guy's got lead in his ass. He could he couldn't jump like he couldn't do high flying moves. Right, and I know we went back. We watched some of his earlier stuff, and you were we kind of almost went backwards in terms of the chronology yeah. of what we watched, and you were shocked, I think, to see him be more agile earlier in his career. But like, yeah, his kind of default is he was not this guy who's like, ah, he could effortlessly, you know, just throw caution to the wind and do the springboard. Like the opposite of a Rob Van Damme in terms of athletic ability and all that. I love so much that he has disproven that notion that if you are not a natural athlete, you can't be a wrestler.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't realize that that was the case about him because everyone talks about how he's a great wrestler
0: i think being a great athlete is a part of being a, a great wrestler i thought
1: that was the part
0: but i think it just means you have to work twice as hard because you wouldn't right. know from watching the, some of the matches that we watched at cm punk that he's someone who like you know would have been put on the lower end of you know the, the rest and training and all that thing of this guy you know he's not he's not the natural like he's not the yeah. guy who comes in every time we talk about a star it's like wouldn't you know it kids are natural he I do. was not a natural I do you
1: wonder sometimes though how much of that is like the opportunity to be athletic as a child. And yeah. Like obviously Punk didn't get that cuz he was like first of all he was an alternative kid and I think that was very much like beaten out of any alternative child. I oh like, yeah.
0: I, I do I, not be athletic. I was I this was This is not for you. I was told so many times like in PE and stuff like that. I literally the PE teacher once like put his hands his hips and hips go god you're so unathletic. Yeah, and like literally as in, so, like you don't yeah. bother trying cuz you can't. And it like doesn't
1: matter <laughs> if it was true or not. Like literally PE teachers were fucking bullies back in the day. I don't know if it's still the case
0: now. Uh, Uh, can confirm as a former teacher that is absolutely still the case. Right,
1: and they just, like, judge kids based on their appearance and go, well, that kid's got black dyed hair, so obviously he doesn't do sports. And that's, like, just so so shit. But anyway, so I think you've got that, and then you've also got the fact that, you know, he hasn't got a very healthy relationship with his parents and his brother. And I feel like you know, in a happy home life, you do do things like maybe sports and team building exercise and stuff. And I feel that's the stuff that like gets you into practice of being a bit athletically inclined. So if you've not given that opportunity as a child, then of course it's going to be harder for you as an adult.
0: You put him in there with someone like Cabana though, who's there, you know, learning how to do drills and football practice at university and high school. He probably
1: played catch with his dad from age (laughs) nothing. So
0: like, you know, the idea even just stuff like running drills and all that, which is a big part of wrestling training is, you know, they'll run the ropes for ages. Mm. You know, I don't think punk was having to pick Caban up in his shoulders and climb up a fire escape like ricky no. steamboat and rick flair and like that but yeah it's it's a it's a tough thing to get into and i think again it proves that determination particularly as well um straight edge extends to you don't take no painkillers
1: does it apply that way to everyone then because i was a bit unclear about that fact.
0: Uh, all i know is that my mate who was straight edge he told me like there's some of his friends who were straight edge who wouldn't even drink you know caffeine Right, okay, because
1: you know. that, that was the thing And there were people that...
0: who were straight-edge I knew who they're like, I won't sleep around because that is, in, you know, defines... What? And I knew some straight-edge people who were the biggest fucking horn dogs in the universe. Wow, uh, I had no idea yeah.
1: it had, like, different definitions for, like for that. For different people,
0: like, yeah. you know, and I'm sure there's some people who look, uh, hear some of that and go, well, that's not straight-edge, but, you know, there are people who identify as straight-edge who yeah. I knew who, who did subscribe to that.
1: Yeah, and it's not like it's an actual club with rules. No,
0: absolutely not. Because it's
1: a self-identification thing, so
0: it's up to you. I just the idea of you know, I remember watching, you know, Tough Enough for the of Chair podcast and all the people they learned to train for the first time. He's got this the second episode of this house full of people and they're all like just eating ibuprofen. Yeah. And, blah, blah, blah. and they're not like, oh, look at all these pill heads. They're all addicted. It's like, no, they're just like... You need that. They're fucking <laughs> sore, man. Like, really sore. Yeah. Um, one of the person I know who doesn't go with painkillers we've done an episode on is Mick Foley. So... What? You know, so I think that's... Uh,
1: Why didn't he take painkillers? Because
0: I think, yeah, uh, I think we talked about in the episode he was worried about, you know, potentially becoming addicted and all that because... God because oh, of the style of wrestling that he did oh geez and don't get me wrong punk wasn't you know mr hardcore or anything like that quite the opposite he was quickly early on in his career in the indies gained a reputation for being like a technical wrestler yeah you know and when he came into independent wrestling was a really interesting time it was 2002 which is right after the collapse of ecw wcw the wrestling landscape is very different People are kind of scrambling around trying to make another company. The indies aren't necessarily known if it's a viable commodity yet. But one thing was pretty much certain, which is that the taste or the appetite for hardcore wrestling was definitely lower now. So himself and Cabana, people like Chris Hero, even Brian Danielson they were coming out into the indies. And like the old indie guys, where it was like a little bit more blood and guts, they were like, right, we want to be like Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko and, you know, those kind of classic grapplers who we saw in the early 90s. Let's bring over some of the infants from Japan and stuff like that. So Punk was part of this very early crop of people who, like, if you want to argue about anything what he changed in wrestling, he definitely was at the forefront. They helped change the independents to be more focused on this technical style. And that became the kind of the big ticket item on the independents and he was involved in this company called IWA Mid-South where we watched very grainy footage and clips of him wrestling Chris Hero and others and my god what a place to come up in wrestling there's some dirty mats Joe
1: disgusting looked like someone had dysentery all over it
0: so IWA Mid-South was like a blood and guts promotion but they kind of they used it just as a platform to kind of to be the wrestlers on that mm. and they notoriously got on really badly with the the locker room and the the promoter who's a notorious piece of shit called Ian Rotten, who on a previous podcast, I said, was dead. And no one corrected me.
1: <laughs> oh, he's not dead. He's not
0: dead. I just thought he was. And no one was like, hey, Ian Rotten's alive. Nah, no, no one bothered saying. No one cared. So No one likes you, Ian Rotten. So Punk, early on, you know, it's him and Cabana kind of, that match was was, was kind of what got them bit a notoriety. They're traveling kind of all over the, the eastern side of, uh, of America. But it was his girlfriend at the time, Natalie, she was the one who approached him with an idea about like what his gimmick should be. And it was her who actually came up with the idea for doing the straight edge gimmick.
1: Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. Because she was like, well, he pisses people off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just by being himself. And you're in a business where you can actually really play that to the crowd especially in like the scene that they're in where like wrestling fans and wrestlers like to drink and take drugs like if you make yourself out to be better than them because you don't then that's really good heel gimmick and it is it's perfect it makes so much sense she someone should hire her
0: <laughs> it's, it's really really genius and the fact that the straight edge guy who rubbed people the wrong way couldn't see that like I that's know. but i think that's sometimes what wrestling does is it makes you think you have to be someone else. When very often what you need to means for some people being someone else works, but I think him being him with the volume turned up a yeah. little bit, that works. I think ultimately it does work against him in the long run of like a lot of fans probably conflating CM Punk the character who is ornery and straight edge yeah. with CM Punk, the real life person, who is often ornery, but about, you know, not necessarily wrestling shit.
1: Yeah, and definitely not as ornery as maybe his character makes it. No, sound. definitely <laughs>
0: not. But yeah, I mean, watching him getting that notoriety on the, like, whatever the opposite of the grandest stage of them all is, it, <laughs> is pretty impressive. Uh, Chris Hero, fun fact about him, who would later be Cassius Ono in, in WWE and Chris Hero again now. Punk came up with the idea for the Shield. Oh, really? So when Punk was champion, years and years later, in WWE champion, they came to him. They're like, "We want you to have a, we want you to have a stable of, of guys with you. Like, and we want Big Show and Daniel Bryan." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Give me, uh, give me uh, John Moxley. Give me Seth Rollins and a uh, Chris Hero." And they came back and go, well, we'd like you to have this pretty guy, Roman, instead. Like, right, fine, you can have him. But Chris Hero was kind of his his original choice to be in that group. What a different wow. shield that would have been.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love Chris Hero, but Roman's the better choice. I, I mean, mean yeah. m- maybe not for the first five years, but he worked out the better choice long term. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm sure. <laughs> WWE are very thankful that they have Roman Reigns <laughs> right there. A great little point in this interview that we're watching, where Punk says that he thought that he was special and he was good in the ring, and then he wrestled Eddie Guerrero. Mm. And that was kind of a huge moment for him, and just kind of realizing there was this whole next level out there. You cut to Ring of Honor, which is a group which is literally looking around at the indies and seeing, well, all these big indie superstars are cropping up. Let's bring them all together under one big happy family, this one promotion. And there's like rules of Ring of Honor, like you have to shake hands. They have, like, special matches where there's a limit on the number of rope breaks that you have. They kind of, they pride themselves on not doing disqualification or count-out or, you know, just random finishes that don't make no sense. It's more about the athletic contest in the ring. Right. So that's kind of, you know, that would have been, like, his his big home and where he kind of grew to, to great prominence. And
1: was Ring of Honor new at the time? Yes.
0: Ring of Honor would have only came in in, like, 2002, 2003. And Punk was, him and Cabana came in together originally as a tag team called the Second City Saints out of chicago and uh, the idea of Colcabana being a heel is kind of really weird with me but they were this heel group daphne was actually with them as well wow. in early uh yeah but i think punk actually dated daphne oh right punk the prolific dater in wrestling who dated daphne lee uh, and is married to aj lee uh aj mendez i should say right so, yeah but um <laughs> his very early rivalry and this is the first time i ever saw cm punk was with raven he was a guy from ecw and the whole gimmick of this was that Raven had just come off a not really spectacular run in WWE. and was on the indies now. And the gimmick was that CM Punk thought that Raven, who was in real life a drug addict and struggled with addiction, was a disgusting terrible example for all wrestlers. He was given everything in the world, handed on a silver platter, and he pissed it all away on drugs and alcohol and loose women and being a fucking, you know, being the guy on the road. And like I remember like Watching the wrestling channel And seeing like Hey it's Raven I like Raven Seeing this guy be like You fucking drug addict And I'm like Oh I think I told you this, like, I saw CM Punk, I hadn't even seen him wrestle, and I went and I made him on, uh, I think it was WrestleMania 19 on the GameCube, I was like, he
1: looks cool! Oh, you didn't make him just to beat him up with Raven? No,
0: no, I made him because I thought... Oh, show you, drug addict! <laughs> the look, I thought the look was amazing! Yeah. We're gonna look at we're gonna look at a classic CM Punk match now, probably one of the most classic, but that old style with the bleach blonde hair and the ball shorts... It's a really good look. What about the tattoos? What do you think of those?
1: I don't have opinions on the tattoos. Any any
0: standout ones? I
1: mean... Look, I hate his tattoos.
0: <laughs> no you went from no opinion to No, no, hate no, no. no as quickly. in
1: as in for his character, his look. Right. It's none of my fucking business. Gotcha. It's not for me. It's fine. That's not supposed to be for me. It's for him. It's for him and it's for those people, and that's absolutely fine. I don't have tattoos, so already I'm not the target audience. But he has those pop punk tattoos that I really don't like. Oh,
0: I see. Like
1: the Spider web on the elbow and the stars and stuff. You call it an it
0: edge. Yeah, you, you talked about the stars in the edge yeah, episode as well. Something the pop punk star. The pop punk star. The one
1: that I would draw on my uh, pencil case.
0: Oh, man. You should get the cool S instead as a tattoo. That'd be <laughs> brilliant. Uh, the very prominent Pepsi tattoo. What did you make to that? Oh, so shit. Do you... <laughs> joe oh
1: what like you think it's really cool I, I honestly do no you don't
0: i do no you don't you see i did this podcast called cinema swirl where yeah. pepsi is a very important part of the brand <laughs>
1: all right i'll get a pepsi tattoo
0: no thank you mm. on, on their forehead right in the middle yeah. there, like. actually can you get the pepsi max caffeine free logo please that's the it'll st- take
1: up the whole forehead yeah you fine sure
0: that's on? good good okay why do you think he's got a pepsi logo i
1: assume he I likes pepsi
0: he does like Pepsi yeah mm. uh, it was apparently his friends were all getting like or I'm not sure if it was his friends or just like people of his age group were getting like beer logos tattooed it was on a them. big
1: thing when we were growing up about yeah. getting it's just so when you think so about it isn't weird. it so weird considering our generation was like anti-capitalism yeah, and, and like anti-the anti man and you've got like a corporation's logo it's, it's on a you. Pepsi
0: on one side and the other side is a Hasbro best-selling toy G.I. Joe the Cobra yeah. the Cobra insignia there I'm not gonna lie I, I remember like seeing the Cobra tattoo on the other side and going to my brother who's a big G.I. Joe head going look and he'd be like Oh, he's cool. You know <laughs> just like again, like another one's showing that kind of generational thing. I yeah. think if you're a kid of the eighties seeing a you know, some of those tattoos are gonna make you go, fuck yes. Yeah. That's fucking cool. But look, there is one thing that happened in Ring of Honor that was more important than anything else, which is a series of matches he had with the one and only Samoa Joe. And we were fortunate enough to sit down and watch what is considered to be the best of the trilogy. Punk Joe number two from Ring of Honor in two thousand and four. Joe, I need to address the elephant in the room right now. You were dreading the long match.
1: I was. Thank fucking God it was Samoa Joe because I genuinely think I would have just like... I don't know, like throwing myself <laughs> down the stairs. Jesus Christ! You know how when you put like a maths exam.
0: When you I'm throw sure.
1: yourself down the stairs? We well, didn't do that? No? Quickly try and break a leg before your maths exam. One <laughs> so you time, don't have to go to
0: school? One time, <laughs> I was, oh, I was in school. I was going to going to school and a, a priest fell down the stairs in front of me. I didn't get out of no maths exam though. Yeah. It was bullshit.
1: No, you have to fall down the stairs oh. and break a leg.
0: So you were. Easy to say, not looking forward to watching an old, independent... Low quality.
1: Image. And we got we got good, we got
0: good quality. No, we but didn't. It, we, we got as good as you can get.
1: Which is shit.
0: I don't want to be kicking Ring of Honor, the company, while it's down. Because obviously 2021, it's gone on hiatus. It may not come back. If it comes back, it'll probably be very, very different. But the one thing that Ring of Honor definitely has is a library of matches, old and new featuring some of the biggest names in wrestling, past and present. The fact that it is a struggle to this day to access that as someone who's got money in hand, wanting to. I know. It is absolutely ridiculous. Big match Tony Khan. License it to him. (laughs) License it to someone. Make money out of it. People would want to see it. Like, they really would. I don't get it.
1: I think maybe because it's just really low quality. So people, like, maybe don't want to pay lots of money for the licensing. I mean,
0: you know, it's. it's I get it's low quality and all that. But, like, even still, like, it's there. It's available. Like, yeah. it's it's DVD quality. But, yeah, watching mm. these old matches. I'm not. You know, we, we just did over on the Patreon page, we did a pay per view classic where. We had some very, very helpful sorts to send us some classic ECW undubbed pay-per-views in the proper original styles as it was meant to be, and seeing it in that classic quality, it was really great and eye-opening and all that. But man, watching old wrestling where you've got one thing here commentators with bad microphones
1: oh god one of them with a good microphone and one of them with a bad microphone
0: and the good's got an asterisk beside it folks i'm not gonna like you know i'm not trying to be fucking petty or anything like that but when people say this is a legendary match and it's five stars you gotta see it you gotta see it you gotta see it like bear in mind it sounds awful it does and it looks not great like it is and i'm not trying to be a snob but like and just say oh it's video quality but like camera angles thank you again for reminding me about white balance You're something welcome. my brain routinely forgets and then remembers when we watch independent wrestling mm, <laughs> sorry it's the curse i'd never seen this match before so i was very very excited you know this one was was requested and recommended a lot this is punk joe number two some classic ring of honor 2004 things that i particularly enjoyed Hmm. them seemingly showing up an ip address at one point early on they were like oh is
1: that what that was i thought it was coordinates
0: it looked like maybe it was maybe it was somewhere on foursquare you could find all the latest ring of honor news but they just flashed these numbers on the screen like
1: what is that so strange
0: check out our fucking ip address i'm not sure what what it was it was very peculiar (laughs) but it made me really feel old that something from 2004 was like wow this is like foreign concept to me it's so
1: weird isn't it that like stuff from 2004 looks like it was recorded in the 80s or even the 70s like it literally all camera footage looks like it was made 50 years ago no matter when it was
0: i think an issue is is that you know i we probably should have watched this on like a smaller screen like a laptop or something i think watching it on our big main screen you know, I think a lot of that, a lot of that older footage is not no more than playing an N sixty four game on a bigger screen like that. So what you're
1: saying is, really, we should have watched it on an iPod Touch,
0: <laughs> as the a authors Nano. intended. Watch it on an iPod video on an inflatable mattress in yeah. a room with no other furniture. Yeah, that's just how a we should have watched it. Smelly boy with his <laughs> shoes off. I have to say though, in spite of all of that, you know, kind of you know, lambasting about the quality of it and all that. Yeah when Punk comes out and when Joe comes out there is an immediate star presence I felt like when they came out it just it it exuded superstardom
1: definitely with Joe a hundred percent he has like the biggest vibes he just has like celebrity written all over him like he's just like he carries himself with an authority that just like you would expect of like I don't know like
0: a champion he looks like a champion not just like a
1: champion though but like you know a superstar yeah hollywood yeah. a-lister like mm. the coolest guy in the
2: world
0: okay I, this is probably what it is someone who is not necessarily looking to book someone for a wrestling show could look at him and go i could put him in a movie or i could put him yeah. in a music video or something yeah. like that or a video
1: game or literally anything he's just fucking awesome he's so cool
0: maybe it's nostalgia playing me because when i see punk in that fucking zip up top with the fucking the baggy shorts and the the wrist tape coming out to that theme oh my god yeah not I, not me not you
1: no it just reminds me of boys i was friends
0: with <laughs> you didn't think they were stars no <laughs> <laughs> so this match kind of as like any kind of long match worth its salt has got kind of phases to it and notable kind of moments where it shifts gears and at the start they're kind of telling the story that Samoa Joe is this unstoppable submission machine he Mm. smashes his opponents he is he is god tier in terms of physicality Punk is known as being kind of like a brawler and a bit scrappy but he knows he can't do that with Joe because Joe will just squash him so he's doing what I, I would call submission chess on him and the first I'd say good like 15 or so minutes of this match is these guys trading holes and I know you like a tight hold. These guys had some fucking goddamn yeah, tight holds. Was
1: so fucking long, and there were so many of them. <laughs> I hate an, a match that I know will be an hour long mm. with 15 minutes of fucking rest holds. Why? It's... Just make the match shorter. We don't need it. It's... I don't want it.
0: It's it's the bad sign when they say this match has a 60 minute, one hour time limit, and you, I think, immediately clocked where this was going. Like well, that there was a 60 minute time limit, so we were going to get a 60 minute. I'll be minutes. honest,
1: I clocked where this was going when earlier on in the day you said, Joe, let's, I know, let's, let's, let's watch the documentary and then we'll we'll go for a walk. <laughs> like as a break, you I know, to stretch nice. the legs. And then we went on a walk and, and we went to B&M and you were like, oh, this is a nice fidget toy, isn't it? That would keep you occupied. And I was like, yeah, this is nice. And you're like, I'll tell you what, I'll get it for me because I like to fidget with things. It's like those clues building up over there. I was like, oh, I think I'm going to have to watch an hour-long wrestling match. (laughs) This is like when when daddy takes me for ice cream because he knows I've got to go to the dentist later. And then the
0: dentist is like, why did you give this kid ice cream? I went to shoot him full of Novocaine. King. (laughs) So uh, I think I may have failed then in my kind of prep work I'm really grateful
1: for the Tangle Toy.
0: Yeah, honestly, Tangle Toy, you've got to sponsor this I podcast through, literally, literally, yeah. I went through
1: the Tangle Toy, I went through my lock picking, I had my fuzzy worm, <laughs> I needed all the shit.
0: Sorry, this is really difficult because I've written all these notes where it's like, you can see Joe's frustration, but it's Samoa Joe because he can't be Samoa up. Yeah. but you were... <laughs> frustrated yeah. watching all of this that was very funny um, I didn't
1: fall asleep though you
0: didn't fall asleep I think though one of the reasons you can't fall asleep in this match is that these bits of like submission chess are broken up with some of the most vicious chops ever where Samoa Joe just went.
1: It's hard to talk about vicious chops in this day and age. Well, you have
0: Daniel Bryan. We've got Daniel Bryan chops for his dinner, like
1: literally, like asking wrestlers to take a fucking knife to his chest. Like, please slice me open. I'm
0: Bryan Danielson, and I hate my chest. Yeah, please get rid of it for me. I like me. to
1: worry my wife. <laughs>
0: Poor thing. There's something about this though that like it was. Um, I could see elements of CM Punk's like persona shine through he's Mm. in the middle of this match that you know is meticulously planned that there's a lot coming still one random fan in the audience is trying to get a boring chant going at points in this match
1: yeah there's a really loud fan in the front row and it's great though because Samoa Joe just fucking he doesn't even look at the guy he's facing away from him and he kicks the he kicks behind him the guardrail <laughs> that the fan is resting on and he immediately goes
0: that's how Samoa so Joe cool. <laughs> this is, these are the two characters that you compare and contrast Samoa Joe mule kicks a guardrail CM Punk in the middle of a complicated submission goes you don't like it asshole the door's right over there.
2: <laughs>
0: Love it. Like, he's going to be resting the match of his life. You can't slip against Samoa Joe. Hang on a second. This guy is pissing me off. i got to give him a two cents. This
1: is the thing. It's really hard for me to look at someone like CM Punk and think he's really cool. When that, I... made him
0: think, that made me think he was cool, though. See,
1: that, that's not cool to me. That's really, like... <laughs> It's not. It's like the opposite of cool. See, like, that's why
0: I can return things in Nando's and you can't. <laughs> no, because CM
1: Punk cares too
0: much. Mm.
1: Samoa Joe is cool because look, he doesn't give a shit. He's not going to give that fan his time. He's going to kick a guardrail and Fair. knock the kid over, and he doesn't even look at him in the eye.
0: The temperament. So cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Whereas I, CM punk's like I need attention.
0: It did kind of, you know, I think this was actually the last match we watched technically. In the first match we watched, I think we watched we watched some matches from like from 2014 and we kind of went backwards. Um it did kind of make me sad seeing the style uh, like, diminish is a hard word I don't like using that like you know because it makes it feel like he's a fucking all broken up like he did get all broken up and broken down by his own admission mm-hmm. but like watching this guy going from doing you know in this match he's doing these moonsaults he's doing you know top rope manoeuvres springboards and all that and we watched some of his later stuff and like you know sh- Joe did see the dreaded CM Punk Macho Man Randy Savage elbow drop you're
1: killing Macho Man and he's already dead <laughs>
0: Jesus Christ Joe yeah. But seeing, like, the impact that this wrestling industry had on him, and, you know, the only person I can compare it to is probably Stone Cold Steve Austin. As in somebody, you look at him in the early 90s and go, whoa, look at this yeah, guy, he's guy doing all move. this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it's like he became someone who had a much smaller moose and kind of use that to kind of emphasize the character which is what the mm. most important thing in the match was although i
1: do kind of feel in some ways it's unfair to compare the two because like
0: punk didn't break his neck like punk didn't Austin, break yeah. his neck or and he didn't hurt his neck at points and also
1: yeah. punk could still fucking wrestle like yeah. he's a really good wrestler like unlike stone cold who is a brawler mm. who I, I love stone cold steve Pu- stone cold steve punk <laughs> i love stone cold steve austin's wrestling style after he broke his neck like the mm. brawling style is really cool for his character um, but like CM Punk can actually go; yeah. he, he just can't do the flips as well as he's yeah. able to do. But yeah. he's like he can do technical map based wrestling, which That's is true. Really hard.
0: We have uh, we hear that Mick Foley is in the crowd watching at one point, which is like what a weird time for yeah. wrestling, man. That's so cool. Uh,
1: so at this point, we're halfway through the match, and narratively, it doesn't feel like we're halfway through. I don't understand why this match needs to be this long.
0: What do you mean, like narratively? Like you feel like they're not kind of because I, I feel like there's the first kind of 15 or so minutes where it's slow and then we get this yeah. kind of gear change where we get a little glimpse of it being like boom 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 and then we kind of slow back down again and then we get into around like a 20 minute sequence of this mo- what was what is the modern style now in a lot of companies which is the big kickouts the big moves high impact and stuff like that but you didn't feel like it it flowed as well for you
1: what's the arc Shouldn't wrestling matches have an arc, like a beginning, a middle, and an end? But yeah, like you know, you have the warm up and you have the cool down at the end, and then you have like the kind of the narrative arc in the middle. Yeah. And it just didn't feel like, as you were saying there, like it was hopping around a lot. It was like slow, and then like a couple of minutes of it being really fast, and then it being like kind of middle speed, and Mm. then it being kind of slow again. And it just like the pacing to me was really confusing. Like I couldn't, I feel like in a long match, like, okay, I'm always going to compare it to that Ric Flair versus Well, that's Sting it. We've done match. an
0: episode exactly about long matches. Yeah. So you, I know you're quite like, you know, tuned to the flow of a long match. Oh, I've yeah. got my
1: opinion. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. say that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. It's yeah. like, that's my taste. But like that to me, I, the reason I like that match so much is because I could feel how far through the match I was based on what they were doing in the ring. Mm. I could like tell.
0: Yeah. I think like other than the level of sweat and exhaustion, and these guys get fucking sweaty. Let me tell you, just as this match goes on, I kind of feel like maybe like the 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 types of maneuvers that they're going for later on are like more high impact. like they're trying to finish in that kind of final stretch. Yeah. It feels like a little bit. I
1: mean, maybe it's because this is like actually quite technical wrestling, which I'm not very familiar with. Maybe it's like, it's too complicated for me. Maybe it's just going over my head. And mm-hmm. the reason I like the Ric Flair-Sting match is because they don't actually do much wrestling. Yeah, I mean, so it's... So they can tell more of a story.
0: You have, like, a smorgasbord of submissions here in this one. And, like, Samoa Joe is the guy who'll put you in a submission and then he'll turn it into something slightly different. And I will tell you, like, watching the Punk's body contort and be... Oh. S- wow he's so flexible they're like i i I never like even though i watched some of his earlier stuff back in the day i never knew he was to this degree this guy's literally got the back of his head touching his calves at some point in some submission the spot of the match which knowing how loud they are because you hear them slamming all night those guardrails in ring of honor those barricades when Joe just picks Punk up and he swings him into that. it like a baseball bat. It's
1: one of my favorite moves in wrestling. I love it. Like,
0: I wince when they do that into the. Big fucking du- the duvet and <laughs> WWE here. It's just like, how did he do that? I have absolutely no. Did you see the lad of the notebook in the front row,
1: standing up? He's hard standing to miss. Standing up, like, front row, standing up, taking you, notes.
0: You weren't taking, you weren't taking enough attention to this match, Joe. You should have maybe there with the notebook. <laughs> line, you
1: know? it's funny because I actually had in my notes. It doesn't feel like this match needs to be this long. And it doesn't feel like it was designed to be uh, paid attention to by a person taking notes, <laughs> aka me. But there's this guy clearly having loads of fun taking extensive notes on this hour-long match.
0: I wait to be told that that is like one of the forefront wrestling journalists in 2021 or something like that. I'm David sure,
1: Bixen Span. I'm, I'm sure it's
0: <laughs> it's someone of note that was there doing it. The closest of close near falls that we get in the end of this match, and I think actually someone who deserves. There are flowers in this match. He doesn't really get talked about. Is the referee Todd Sinclair? He is fucking phenomenal in this match, and I just thought, you know, referees. We we've done an episode on referees, yeah. and there is a lot of this match which is not like entirely down to, but is greatly enhanced. Like he gets in these like arguments with people in the front row, and he's like really close to a three count. He's like, it's three. He's really, really getting in their face and all that. I think one thing that I would have appreciated is. More of a visual cue or a clear auditory cue that the countdown was coming. Yeah. Because I have recently watched a match that went to a time limit draw with Brian with Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega, and we got like the ten minutes remaining, five minutes remaining, yeah, two minutes, and we did get little bits here and there, but it was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they were counting down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, What the fuck? They're counting down? Seriously? And the whole time, they're counting down. Punk is going for the Pepsi plunge. A top row pedigree, folks. What a maneuver. And I was going to go, Wait, you're going to see it now. Wait. Oh, here we go. Any second now. Wait. You're going to see it. 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 And then the match ends. Yep. Damn it it's a draw. Mm. I was a bit heartbroken by the draw, which I guess was the point of it. And. The time limit draw where you have crowds chanting for five more minutes, five more minutes, and then one guy goes, 60 more minutes! That's the guy taking notes. And that was when I started laughing. I really love this match, I'm not going to lie, but I do not think it is a faultless, must-see experience. I think there are so many caveats with watching this older match just from a production standpoint. I kind of feel like, you have to be there. And if you were there, I'm sure there was no experience like that before since. Yeah. But watching this is not like being there. Not even close to being there. So for me, it was kind of a tainted classic in that respect. But... How did you get on with it? Like, you know, you didn't enjoy the arc necessarily. No. But that kind of, that more high octane speed we got towards the end, did it kind of win you around? What was your, your rating for us?
1: I really liked the final part of the match, like where it got a lot faster and mm. it became more of a kind of like, whatever you call it, re- reversal, submission-y type fast thing.
0: Fast thing! There's,
1: there's got to be a name for this, right?
0: <laughs> What, when wrestling becomes very fast?
1: Yeah, but also that kind of style of like, person does a move, person does a reversal on a move, person other does Catches, a reversal. Catches, catch on... cans. Is that I guess? what that is? I, I guess it is, yeah. Right, okay. I didn't want to use that term incorrectly. I I'm may well really be scared
0: using of it. Doing... People <laughs> use that term to mean anything. I know. It's, it's like shoots to half. It can yeah. mean literally anything. No one cares. <laughs> but I really
1: liked that when it got really fast and it got kind of like really desperate when the time was starting to run out. And it just made me feel like. Like when I watch a lot of these like modern movies, and I'm like, this is a fun movie that's in a three-hour movie for no yeah, reason, yeah. and I just want to like take it and edit it down.
0: Yeah, you don't just. I mean, I feel that about a lot of media. I I'm, yeah, on cinema store, I'm often saying that as well. Like, yeah, you know. but I
1: feel that about this match. Okay. Like I would have given this match probably five out of five stars if it was half the length, mm. like literally half an hour, and that's that's a long match for me. That's that's really long for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I by feel by modern it,
0: standards, that's a very yeah. long match, yeah.
1: But oh my god, it being this long really, really took it out of me. It's like I, I can, I can feel that it just goes over my head. That I'm not the type of wrestling fan that can appreciate this. I think I
0: could, but not at that, not not as presented. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's maybe there's money to be made for someone to go back and like genuinely. I've heard this said so many times, and for someone who you know, on my bucket list, I would like to commentate someday on a wrestling show. But I would agree with the sentiment that maybe most wrestling shows of a certain level, just production-wise, should have an option to have no commentary. Mm. And they obviously reckon this here because halfway through this match, the commentators just stop.
1: Oh, really? I
2: didn't yeah. even notice. They just
0: stop. Like, yeah. after saying for, like, you know, 10 minutes that they wish they could just watch the match and then they just watch the wow. match. Which I think that's kind of cool in a sense. But, yeah, I don't need to be hearing people on rock band mics scream at the top no. of their lungs about how great something is. That, that makes it worse. So what is your aim, then?
1: I gave it three and a half stars and and I struggled with that rating. I really did.
0: (laughs) So CM Punk has this trilogy with Joe. He has, you know, the kind of the three big matches. The second one was kind of the, the one that was considered to be the, the, the match. And that got five stars from Dave Meltzer, which like, I'm not saying like that to be kind of Dave Meltzer's the gold standard and all that. That's not what I mean. But just in terms of like an indie promotion and indie wrestlers getting that in America. Yeah. And even for American wrestling to get a five star match, that was crazy. You know, yeah. that rarely if ever happened. Yeah.
1: And it is, it's Dave Meltzer. Like, yeah. you know, we don't love him, but like he is an important figure in the industry. And
0: particularly in 2004, that meant yeah. a lot, you know, because independent wrestling was kind of discovering its legs and unquestionably punk and joe together there they put ring of honor independent wrestling that style of wrestling they they were the ones like more so than brian danielson more so than any of the other kind of indie uh superstars we've talked about these are the guys because they got attention from this they got big attention from this and punk wasn't just getting attention for having great matches he was getting great attention for great promos which you know i think it's something that indie wrestling lost after punk went
1: oh i don't know if he ever had it before he like arrived or even uh, uh, during yeah. like i think he's one of a kind in that respect kevin
0: owens maybe you know, he had some great promos yeah. on the indies but like Punk, he fucking knew. Like he, he had his live journal page where he would be blogging about mm-hmm. all of his stuff. You know, before even MySpace was a thing, Punk was there yeah. using fucking live journal lads. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> blogging about the matches, the storylines, making it feel personal yeah. and real in that way that is so fucking brilliant. Like that's that's what makes brilliant wrestling and all that.
1: Gotta say as well, like unlike Kevin Owens. Punk has aged fantastically, and I don't mean in the terms of how he looks, I mean in what he believes. Right, yeah. Like, from the very, very beginning of, like, the documentary, he made it so clear that he was, like, you know, he's a supporter of women. He's so inclusive with his beliefs, mm. and that's really nice to see, seeing as he's like, comes from that, like, pop-punk, straight-edge corner of the world, which... Yeah sometimes wasn't very inclusive. Yeah, that's true. And it's just when you look back at promos from like Kevin Owens from like PWG, some of them haven't he fell
0: into that trap. Some of
1: them haven't aged well at all. Absolutely he actually had to apologize for them. Whereas like you you haven't heard any of that with CM Punk because actually everything he was saying it was true and still holds up.
0: He managed to offend not by dropping slurs and stuff like that. He managed to offend by portraying this character who had these beliefs that were his beliefs. His actual beliefs, but he knew how to use those to needle people. I think case in point to that using that live journal and the fact that you know that that trilogy of matches, you know, he got a tryout with WWE quite right. quickly. I remember right after that match, it was the story was Mick Foley. He went to Vince McMahon and he gave him a DVD and he said, Samoa Joe, you got to fucking sign this guy. Oh,
1: and, it was Samoa Joe, because like, I was going to say like that's if I watch that match, that's the guy I'm signing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but of course, you know, Vince
0: didn't want, he didn't, you know, he obviously, either he, of them. He yeah, did, <laughs> wanna, he, but Punk did get a tryout, and it was really it was from those. Joe matches that Punk did get eyes on him from WWE I think the way he left Ring of Honor was in one of the most kind of spectacular big ways that it made people who supported that product and that brand and supported him, it made them feel like they were watching the most important thing in wrestling. Mm. And that's something that we, we talked about in ECW and Paul Heyman episodes a lot about, like, kind of wrestling and your storyline and you as a character. It's as big as you make people believe it yeah. to be. You know, we've watched matches in front of 80,000 people that seem inconsequential, but CM Punk telling 200 people in Ring of Honor that his contract is expiring. And he's leaving. He's going to WWE. And people, fuck, how dare you sell out? You put us on the map. You're leaving. He's like, you're damn right. And then supposedly his last day, he wins the world championship. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this. And I'm going to stick it on Vince McMahon's desk. In the way the Dudley boys did in ECW. And it's just like, how is he? He's kneeling the fans. The people who are thinking, I'm going to support him when he goes to WWE. are now feeling this fucker. He's going to WWE. <laughs> Amazing. He signed his WWE contract on the Ring of Honor World Championship
1: what I liked best wasn't that he did that it was that he did it while wearing a shit Triple H <laughs> suit <laughs> so funny i don't even know if that's what he was making fun of but it really looked like that's what he was making fun of i
0: don't know the the promos where he goes up to this guy james gibson who you would know he was uh jamie noble j and j security he had just left WWE after being kind of underutilized went to ring of honor because it's like right this is where we're going we're going to get the world you know get myself back on the map show the world i'm a great wrestler he does win at one point the world championship there and punk is like look you know, you and I wrestling, I'm sure it's a big deal because when I go to WWE, I'll be wrestling on Monday Night Raw. You'll probably be on Velocity or Sunday Night Heat or something. So we <laughs> might as well wrestle now, you know, get out of the way. That is honestly, the the, the pride he takes at manipulating supposedly smart fans, in yeah. commas, I relish that. I love that. Oh, I, I
1: really I respect love that. Love it. Because it's something that only I feel only he can do because he brought... And kind of created that type of fan. Yes. Like, I feel like because he made wrestling into this, like, less flashy, kind of more technical based thing, you know, as you say, he's not massively athletic, but he's like, he's all about the wrestling and about the actual, like, the hard work that goes into it and stuff. And I feel like, you know, promotions like Ring of Honor and those like that on the indies were very much holding a mirror up to the sports entertainment style of like from WWE and stuff like that. And so that's where you have all these like smart marks then going to is because they're like, they're sick of the WWE and the boring fucking gimmicky shit for kids. And here's where the proper wrestling is. They're so easy. And then then Punk's like, well, there you go. I know how to manipulate you. I know what you hate because you're, like, you're like me. <laughs> and that's
0: it. Like a swerve is only good when it's kind of unexpected. You've really built to it and then bam, you get the rug pulled out from underneath you. You know, that's that's how you fucking do it. You mm. know, and the difference between doing something like this where it's months of planning and there's blogs and, you know, all these, you know, long stories you have kind of all this kind of world building is putting into something and you know, they didn't even have tv back then yeah you know, you're buying you only getting this if you bought the dvd oh know? what so
1: you couldn't even get it on internet
0: no, no i mean you, you could get some clips and bits and bobs but this was primarily a dvd company that's how they yeah. were doing it you know and that was like amazing to get the level of buzz you know i watched it on the wrestling channel bits and bobs you know of punk from around this time and you know it it made it seem cool it made it seem like indie wrestling wasn't what WWE said it was and WWE would say it was rinky dink and small and you know Little League and all that and yeah the quality maybe wasn't always there in terms of the the audio and the camera but you couldn't tell me as a wrestling fan or any of the people who were watching on that time that that wasn't like the biggest story in wrestling Yeah, and like he made His signing not become something that's like, I'm sorry guys, oh shucks. He made it a storyline. Yeah. that's fucking, that's how it works. And he
1: managed to do it while drawing loads of references to some of the most important cultural moments of professional wrestling. Yeah. Like referencing the Montreal Screwjob and referencing, you know, the Dudleys putting the, the title on Vince's desk and people leaving with titles and stuff like that like all these big controversial real life slash kayfabe moments he's kind of like referencing them all in a yeah. big soup
0: <laughs> and i like more about that is the fact this idea is so good he did it again later and i'm a Quite big right. proponent of that in wrestling if something worked really well in a small scale scale and a small stage and it could work bigger please for the love of god do it you know yeah. and i'm very happy that you have like two versions of Punk leaving. To I draw comparisons with. always
1: love, and it's something I've only realised in kind of more recent years. I love a character selling out. Yeah, it's, it gets me. It's like your version of a wrestler with a towel. <laughs> I love a wrestler turning heel and putting on a suit. Uh, you can tell.
0: Uh, speaking of wrestlers selling out and putting on a suit, Seth Rollins is a bit of a fan of CM Punk. Huh? Oh my
1: god, it's so fucking obvious, isn't it? I don't know if I could be a Seth Rollins fan if I would come up through CM Punk. Yeah. It's so
0: clear it's, it's funny people people when I saw him as Tyler Black people hated on him because he was so like CM Punk and then I felt like he did a lot to distance himself from Punk and now kind of looking back retrospectively it's like I don't think he did very much at all to, he fucking, to that. As well like
1: it's so obvious that like he thinks CM Punk like legitimately is so cool and oh, wants yeah. to be him so yeah. badly. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. anyone who knows anything about Seth Rollins knows he's a bit of a whiny fucking shitheel. Yeah. Whereas CM Punk isn't. CM the Punk drama is kids actually... him the alternative kids yeah. and thinking he's the CM coolest. CM Punk fucking lives the gimmick. He is who he is. <laughs> Seth Rollins wishes he was who he was.
0: <laughs> so CM Punk is signed to WWE and because this is how the way things work, question mark, we don't know how the way things work because big indie stars don't get signed the last time an indie star got signed technically it would have been like when brian danielson got signed in the year 2001 and then they kind of released him 12 months later because they didn't really know what to do with him. so punk is a big indie name everyone's like all right he's pretty much he's taking a risk here because it's not like oh we know what they're going to do with him it's like well we can only suppose it'll be bad because they don't have people like him yeah people at the very least thought they change his look they change his name they change how he wrestles that's kind of the standard assumption that was at the time
1: just on the the point about people don't get signed like him mm. what, what does that actually mean because like on the surface right cm punk he's a he's a white guy yeah he's got he's in good shape yeah. he's really handsome yeah he's got you know he's got a good body I'm he's thinking got great charisma aj
0: styles christopher daniels Loki. i like, can list several their names who are as big a star And some fans' minds bigger stars than CM Punk was, who WWE, no, 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 we don't, we won't touch them. And just, but like
1: it, what is it in particular about them they don't like i don't understand it's because the like, it's
0: the indierific vibe that's it it's it's this idea that oh, this kid from the indies they you know they think they're better than they are they don't know how to work they all think they're big stars they probably all have attitudes
1: right i see so it's but the it's the issue know. of they've not been brought up through our precious formula yeah
0: and it's, just like it's the same case in point in wwe you know who fucking go one 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 year from being like UFC is not our competition. They're going to have women fighting in there. They'll probably kill each other in the ring. And then they have fucking Ronda Rousey headlining, you know, 12 pay per views in a row. And then, you know, or not understanding ECW and then putting them on the fucking payroll. It's like, you know, they don't like a thing until they take it and they realize they can make money out of it. And then they like the thing. Mm. Which is exactly, I guess, what happened with independent wrestling. But like, punk was a pioneer and I don't mean that in kind of like a yay go punk it's just that he was the fucking first guy really who, but, who did that
1: but like literally just because he was from the indies like if he had just got signed no, I just don't get it. What? what? <laughs> how are you supposed to become a wrestler in the WWE then? If you're not Well, through back the before
0: then, it would have been you came maybe from ECW or WCW, like a company that had how TV. How is that
1: not an indie promotion? Because they I have TV it. and
0: pay-per-views. and So what, you, you have know, to just
1: magically be super successful right away?
0: You you come up how you come up. You can do your indies and all that, but the idea is that you have to get a little bit of fine-tuning before you go would to WWE. Would there WCW? even
1: have been a WCW or an ECW? Well, I guess there was a WWECW, but there wouldn't have been a WCW when CM Punk was training was that like, uh, no
0: no that all would have been gone that's, yeah. that's the thing right it's
1: like, how are you supposed to join that,
0: that was why ring of honor formed and these wrestlers started kind of you know you know working together around the countries because there was no i mean there was tna but tna was going through so many different changes yeah. and so many like you know big you know punk was in tna for a brief period and like because tna was the place where yeah you could be there you could re- wrestle in ring of honor then you could go to tna he was like AEW is now go do what you want and then come here once a month for pay-per-views then they decided, no, actually, what you here only. So Punk left the company, left right. TNA quite quickly. Like, and I think you know, it, there wasn't enough places that were viewed as being legitimate. Whereas Vince would have taken someone like, well, they've been in WCW, so that at least that means they know how to be on TV. But
1: on the same thing though, he's like signing football players.
0: I know, but I can make a star of a football player. This guy over here though, he's not athletic, and he he works for hot dogs and handshakes. Fuck off, no, you know. And like the idea that like Punk got signed before Joe or AJ Styles or or you know re-signing Brian Danielson, like I I can't see why you would pick him and not pick those other guys, you know, or yeah. pick a bunch of them. The fact that Punk was kind of signed on his own, I always felt really bad for him because you see, we saw footage of him in OVW. There's a fucking rudderless guy who looks miserable, who's got no one around him to wrestle with that he kind of is on the same wavelength as. yeah in the documentary, Cole Kabana talks about how Punk thought they needed to have, you know, big guys in WWE, so Punk puts on all this fucking weight and he's this big.
2: I thought wide I don't understand
1: because he is a big guy. Like he's tall.
0: Yeah, he's deceptively tall. And
1: he's like he's you know, broad shouldered and he's strong. Like okay, he's not got like fucking He's not a beefcake, but that's, like, I I just don't understand how they can look at, like, Randy Orton and Mm. then look at CM Punk and go, but we don't sign people like that. Because, like, you know, they they, they claim it's the tattoos and stuff, but, like, half their fucking roster has tattoos.
0: Part of me as well wouldn't be surprised, because we know for a fact in, in 2021 this has been the case, that it's like, oh, this thing's getting hot you know, Ring of Honor, or whatever they have this trilogy of matches, it's making some buzz on the you know the internet and the dirt sheets and all that. Well, we'll sign it, we'll have it. Just so, so they can't so have so it. So they don't. Yeah,
1: because yeah. we don't like people talking about the other promotions. So and I, th- I think maybe let's stop that now.
0: I don't think Vince McMahon is like get him, sign him, and destroy him. but, no, but Michael job Hayes job. and yeah. Triple H and the yeah. brain trust there are probably thinking we'll show you that this guy's no good. You know, we'll show you that it's all hype. You know, we'll we'll sign him, we'll do it. I do think he was signed. At least somewhat in bad faith. Because wow. you wouldn't send him to OVW otherwise. Mm. Other than thinking that he's he's going to fail. But I love so much about this. That OVW... He goes out there and who's who's in WWE jail at the moment? Why, it's he's Paul the old Heyman. Dusty dungeon. <laughs> it's Paul Heyman who's covered in layers of cobwebs. I think there's a creative mind underneath here. What've they done to you, Paul? This is
1: like the classic trope of when um the hero gets put in a dungeon, but there's the magical old wizard <laughs> and he's there to share his magical influences and powers.
0: The friendship between Paul Heyman and Punk which has like a mentorship to it and I don't think Punk's out uh, Punk is, uh, ain't gonna be able to say Vince McMahon's like a fucking father to him or anything like no. that but I think the closest thing maybe he had to like uh, a paternal figure someone who really took him under his wing it was Paul Heyman yeah. who gleefully described him as his best friend for many, many years. That's so sweet. It's so sweet. And it's these- so
1: funny as well. Paul Heyman has this total like
0: random nature of friendship, right? No,
1: I was going to say in like a consistent pattern with befriending the fucking grumpiest people, <laughs> Brock Lesnar, what's his name, Ryback. And CM Punk, <laughs> the surliest motherfuckers,
0: and the ECW roster, and the ECW roster. It's Taz, like he's like, on. yeah, exactly.
1: He's literally the guy that like has all those adopted dogs that are like. He's the
0: have asshole whisperer. Joe. He knows. Stuff. He knows how to get through to someone who's ornery and someone who rubs everyone the wrong way. This and...
1: dog has rabies, and I love him.
0: <laughs> the two of them becoming friends, and like you cut to Michael Hayes being like, "We didn't trust Paul Heyman's judgment," and him being friends with CM Punk that hurt punk a lot he didn't like that you <laughs> hate fuck you, Hayes. Fuck you. And like what what is it to hate like he goes there and it's almost like oh i'm in i'm in developmental fuck this and we've seen plenty of people be like that even when NXT was fucking kicking people are pissy that they are into the developmental system mm. And Punk is there going, right, well, every Tuesday, I'm going to learn how to write television and yeah. time out a show. Mm. Which, like, he says, you know, wrestlers don't learn that. Yeah.
1: Paul you know, Heyman himself was like, I've never known a wrestler yeah. to try and learn that, ever.
0: He learned how to edit the shows. Yeah. He learned how to, like, put together television, the camera cuts, how to put the spots in and all that. So he just there. learned. It's such good stuff. And, you know, CM Punk, the man who was wearing the ECW t-shirt when he was 15 or 16. Yeah, he probably wanted to learn from Paul Heyman. I, I think know, it's a
1: dream come true, isn't that
0: it? absolute dream come true. And
1: like CM Punk's probably a dream come true for Heyman as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so like that time in OVW, which could have been miserable, even though he did look it, it probably was some of the most important you know, time in his career. Because I think that you couldn't label this like, oh, he doesn't know anything. He's just an indie guy who thinks he knows it all. I'm sorry, if you sit down for a year and you're taught every week, every aspect of creating not just a wrestling show, but a television product... And learn from one of the greatest minds in wrestling. He he, he knows a few things now. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I'm sure he let them know that fact. <laughs> oh, I imagine
1: they did not like that.
0: So Paul Heyman, after serving time at OVW, ECW gets relaunched. And Paul Heyman is given the book and told, you know, you can create your own third brand now. You get who you want. Bring back some of the old guys. But this is going to be used to develop our new talent. And Paul, first draft pick, he said, CM Punk. And it was because of Paul going to them and saying, I need this. This is what I need. I need this more than I need Sandman or Tommy Dreamer or anything like that. I need CM Punk and I need him to be CM Punk and you need him to be himself. And they were, okay, fine. Because I think it was so small... What does it matter? You know,
1: it's it's Paul's little
0: toy. Yeah, it's they, to
1: keep him happy and shut him up.
0: And that was like I remember being shocked as hell when I was watching WWE, C W, and I was so I was so willing to love that product. And every week they told me you shouldn't love this product. And then CM Punk shows up I'm like that's ah, the guy from the fucking wrestling channel, and he's CM Punk, and he's talking about being Straight Edge. I was I was fucking delighted. I thought this is gonna be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Now, you and I have watched WWE WWECW pay-per-view offering. We have. Do you remember much from ECW December to December?
1: I remember it wasn't very good.
0: Do you remember what your favorite bit of the pay-per-view was? No. It was a vampire lady sitting on Kelly Kelly's face.
1: Oh, yeah. Good
0: times. So, yeah, it was not a, a very, very good time for that brand. It was difficult to work in. It was destined for failure And Paul had this idea, he wanted CM Punk to be the guy who inherited the legacy of ECW. That he would be like the through line for fans like me, who loved old ECW, wanted the new ECW to be something new and be reminiscent of the old. And Punk was the indie superstar, yeah. It just
1: fucking shows that, like, Heyman gets it. He totally gets it. He he is a proper, true wrestling fan. Mm. In a way that Vince McMahon and Michael Hayes and Bruce Pritchard could never ever be. Like he actually understands how culture changes. Yeah. The fact that, like, I just imagine that people in the WB were like, ecw but obviously we're going to bring that back and it's all going to be extreme and violent and about drinking beer and stuff and because that's what it was like and paul Heyman's like well no because ecw is about innovation yes that was fucking 15 years ago welcome
0: mr innovation yeah you know you'll be enjoying this guy for years to come yeah you know and i think you know if you ever needed you know a reminder that paul Heyman is a great fucking mind this is it it's him it's like you know, it's like someone telling you about this cool thing. You know, years before it happens, he was there on national TV telling everyone CM Punk's a big fucking deal. And he said that no, no one in the office would accept us. They would not accept that Punk was over, even though they were chanting his name.
1: I know that's the thing. Even in OVW, you know, they were chanting his name. Punk, they were ch-
0: they were buying his t shirts. You know, they accepted him in a way that they didn't accept anyone. else else who came into that ecw they accepted him more than some of the returning ecw stars oh, look,
1: i'm not surprised you know because, like <laughs> yeah because it was getting a bit dated and it was the WWE version of it now so i think it would have felt a bit weird like seeing sandman and stuff come back and he's old and doing the same thing like here's a guy who's actually doing something unique and new who isn't just like all the other guys that came before him it- yeah he represents the values so much more
0: John Cena's quote about "Oh my god, this was heartbreaking. you know what? It was heartbreaking. Fucking
1: ice cold, ice cold. Ice you cold. didn't need to
0: do him like that, John. You didn't need to kill Phil. He's okay? right,
1: but he shouldn't have said it. <laughs> do you remember what he said? Yes, he said that Punk couldn't live up to the hype. That he—it was very good, but the hype that came before him it kind of preceded his reputation and it did no favors because it meant that he couldn't live up to the hype and i believe that's true that's
0: true not just of punk i think that of, of so many people but definitely you know, when you come in with buzz it's impossible to live up to it because you know as john says like you know and then the bell rings and you're watching you kind of go okay well it is the wrestling you know is this it like you know and yeah i've been I... thinking
1: about that a lot recently because like yeah, you know, I was in the shower the other day I was like, I do think John Cena is right and I do think he shouldn't have said Keep it.
0: Even though he's cold-blooded. He's cold-blooded.
1: And the reason I think he shouldn't have said it is because me and John Cena and people like me and John Cena, we're not who this is for. We are the idiot sports entertainment fans. We like the story and mm. the... You the silly characters and the doop de doos and I <laughs> I have accepted that about me. I'm I am a John Cena. I, I like him. Yeah. I like the silliness. I like the playing. And here's a guy who is like actually all about the wrestling mm. and about himself and his personality. And it just goes over mine and John Cena's heads.
0: You so you think that like that Punk did go over your head to an extent I think he continues to
1: go over my head I don't think I'll ever get Punk in the way that my friends love him yeah I just don't think I've got that XP in wrestling. I don't think I even have the knowledge, the know-how. It's just, it's like, it's too advanced for me. It's like mm. it's like someone trying to tell me about maths. Right, yeah, yeah. Which is like, yeah. you know, A-level. I can't understand that.
0: It's funny you say that because like, I think, honestly, by going through all this stuff and reliving this stuff, I was enraptured. Like, Honestly, I became more of a CM Punk fan than I think I ever was. And I think I reminded myself of how much of a fan I was at points by going through this. You
1: know, and it just made me... I can definitely appreciate he's really talented and I can see why people love him and I can really see why people relate to him. Mm. But he's not... He's not my guy. I came out of this thinking, I love John Cena. But like, I love Samoa Joe. Like all these characters who are like over the top and really flashy. And I just realized that, you know, that's what I like. I like style over substance.
0: But that's fine. Like, you know, that's, that's you like what you like. That's yeah, absolutely exactly. fine. Exactly. You know, and you're not going to admonish anyone for, for, but for like, liking it. I
1: do feel John fucking Cena has a. He has a bit of a duty, I think, as one of the top superstars of all time to not go burying
0: talent like that. And what about him? But. Triple H and Shawn Michaels. I know. Michaels. I fucking
1: expect it of them, though.
0: They're pieces of shit. But like, but they, are, they are they are upfronted saying, like, hey, well, you know, you know. Yeah, he's has kind of small, miserable tattoos. old men who are yeah. out of touch.
1: Whereas John Cena, I feel he's in touch, and he should know his opinion doesn't matter. Yeah,
0: it's it's interesting because you know we we listened to the Punk and the Art of Wrestling uh, podcast, the very controversial one that led to a, a a court case, and then some. You know him saying that always always got bad vibes from triple h like this guy just doesn't like me. that
1: makes me like sam punk that was probably the main thing that was like yes i like sam punk and yeah we both hate triple h triple h was <laughs>
0: just so like and i think this happens it's happened with triple h a few times i think in his episode we'll, we'll go through it in some detail but like sometimes he just met people and was like eh, eh. just didn't like rub the wrong way yeah it's like that with jericho like that rob van damme remember we talked about that in the episode punk as well what is it i like Can you pick three more different temperaments than Rob Van Dam, CM Punk, and fucking Chris Jericho?
1: I mean, the only thing I can think of that's common between those three is that they have self-confidence.
0: And that they were probably should have been bigger stars than they were ever portrayed in the World Wrestling Federation or WWE. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. But look, Punk is in a beneficial position because even after Heyman leaves and he's kind of left on his own by default you know Rob Van Dam is gone you've got you know Tommy Dreamer is not as big a, you know he's not the main event guy you know he is the only obvious choice to be the top level babyface on on ECW so he gets put into a program unfortunately this is kind of a, a, one of those little parts of history that people forget he was involved in the last program last in ring segment I believe as well last match with chris benoit before the benoit tragedy happened in 2007 so yeah punk was originally meant to win the ecw championship from chris benoit and doing this kind of like legacy of ecw technical wrestling passing the torch but you know that obviously didn't happen instead he went on to have what he referred to as garbage matches with john morrison where he's like yeah they were shit they were awful uh they thought he was a star and i wasn't no they didn't i did not think either of you were stars yeah i don't think that ecw titles good to anyone they think is a star no. other than bobby lashley maybe <laughs> he wins money in the bank and he is immediately being labeled as the guy who is like right he'll probably lose it you know that's that's what's going to happen he does cash in he does become a world champion this does happen kind of early-ish in his career Col Cabana in the documentary said uh, that Punk was the uh, the little outcast champion. No, he was the guy who had the belt, and he was rarely, if ever, in the main event. If he was ever in a match with someone like Batista or Jericho or anything like that, it would either end in a DQ or uh, you know he would he would lose he would get by by the skin of his teeth not because he was a tricky heel and ha ah, ha i've got the belt because it's too small i'm i'm not good enough i'm the happy-go-lucky shit wrestler basically mm. who doesn't deserve the belt they basically just take the belt off of him in a really really unceremonious manner and this is like from the backdrop of people like michael Hayes haystein like he tarnished the belt fuck off your triple h being like well you know I to say this but you know I, I thought that you know the belt was a little bit too big for him you know Step on a plug Triple H The guys the guys don't make the belt the belt makes you know the guys should make the belt not the belt make the guy or the other way around I'm not sure I don't think he should have been champion basically uh, How did CM Punk Yeah well Triple H I don't think he should have been born <laughs> So how did CM Punk uh lose the championship Not in a wrestling match mind not how you would think to lose it
1: Oh, I didn't realise this is how he lost the championship, assuming this is the thing I thought it was. Yeah. So this is un- oh, that Unforgiven, yeah. Unforgiven, yeah. He was supposed to be on pay-per-view on Unforgiven, but then like on the Raw the week before or something. Oh no, on, on the pay-per-view It was itself. on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, Randy Orton kicked him in the head.
0: Yeah. so they just took the belt off him and had another match.
1: And they were like, oh, CM Punk's injured now because Randy Orton kicked him in the head. Yeah, because... This- Haven't they done that since as well I swear Randy Orton kicked someone else in the head oh yeah Randy's thing was kicking people in
0: the head he kicked Kofi he kicked Vince he's kicked all sorts in the head but like I'm pretty sure
1: they've used Randy kicking someone in the head recently to write them out of a storyline
0: I'm pretty sure they did that um with Ric Flair didn't they he kicked or they did the lights go out when he did it or all that but yeah Randy doing the kick was like a big thing to get over but it's like you're the champion and like Randy's a bigger deal than you Batista's bigger deal Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Chris Jericho, John Cena like he's not even like oh he's number two, number three. He's like number nine mm-hmm. in the list of people. Why even give a guy a belt? Why give a guy a belt and not push him and then go, Oh, you're not you're not pushed. Like you're not you're not a big star anymore. I guess you're not that big a deal.
1: Was he just supposed to be transitional? Is that the idea? He was a transitional champion.
0: Some some are convinced that they did it to sabotage him and say, Look, there you go, you're a world champion. That's what happens if we give the put the belt on punk, that's what happens. Right. that's what happens you know he's not hes not over with fans people don't like him he he's was like... over
1: with fans they were chanting his name <laughs> that's what I don't understand it's like they you, were you... trying so hard to like not get him over and it obviously wasn't working like and, and, like, I would have thought anyone with their ear to the wrestling ground would realise, of course that's what's going to happen because he's the underdog. You're the big corporation who's not giving him his fucking just desserts. Like, People often talk about, you
0: know, with, with they do this with good guys in WWE to this day, which is they beat you over and over and over yeah. again. Because when it happened to Daniel Bryan... Bryan, you know, it made I mean, him to a star. It made him to a star. But you know, not everyone's Daniel Bryan, I guess, in two thousand and twelve. It
1: only works if it's a wrestler who is known for being beloved anyway in another mm. promotion. So that the WWE is themselves the villainous authority figure.
0: But you know, Punk was never was rarely if ever speaking on the microphone. He's just kind of smiling and waving. The fact really? that he was straight edge wasn't like kind of a factor. Like he, he was very like when he was the champion it was like he had nothing to say, nothing to do other than kind of Oh, right, yeah, the champion has to be on tonight, I guess, you know. Right. Or as Triple H would say, you know, um, uh, a lot of factors went into that. Uh, a lot of factors, really. Yeah. He never got a rematch for the belt as well. You know? Right. They just did that. Sure. But, you know, he spends a year then where they kind of take him back down the card, does some tag team stuff. He does some intercontinental stuff. This is good, though, because it gives him a chance, you know, to find his feet a little bit more. And this takes us to our next match, what I'm very, 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 very excited to talk about CM Punk, William Regal for the Intercontinental Championship. This is from Monday Night Raw, the 19th of January, 2009. We had to watch this match because William Regal uttered the phrase, It was the the best thing I ever did in WWE was was that match i did with cm punk right we're we're watching that then you know (laughs) never 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 gonna miss opportunity for a william regal endorsement yes please so this match is very very special it's a no dq match and the idea is that they had several matches beforehand which each ended in some crazy ridiculous non-finish so they come here now with no disqualifications no excuses but the trick and the twist of it is is that Well, they don't just use weapons and stuff like that. It's not a no-DQ match as you would assume it to be. Uh, Joe, I can't help but look at the first few lines of your notes. Vis-a-vis CM Punk and (laughs) William Regal. Oh, I'm embarrassed now. (laughs) What did you say? Read it out for the rest of the class, then. Come on, then. If it's so good.
1: This is when the teacher finds a note about about the
0: teacher. And Punk's like, oh, you got the stink lines and everything on there. <laughs> I
1: wrote, ew, Punk looks weird and greasy. So? And then, William Regal, most beautiful man in wrestling. <laughs>
0: oh, that hair, though. Am I right?
1: It's Mr. Prince fucking charming He's so hot
0: And I will say Punk early in his career With the bleach blonde hair Love it Punk later in his career With the slicked back hair Blech. I, I really like it. Oh,
1: sorry. That yes, I thought you were talking about this. Oh where it was, no, like unintentionally slicked back. You're talking about the actual short. This slicked
0: this back. is the short black hair that's been dyed so black you can see through to his scalp.
1: Yeah, and it's not slicked back. It's so
0: much as it's slicked it's, it, down. It looks bad. Looks, really, it looks bad. really bad. But he has so many different looks. Like the shaved head was great. The look at yeah. the moment where he's got the fucking grey and the beard, the salt and the pepper. That's
1: definitely the best look. He's, he's
0: currently peak punk for sure. Yes. The selling from William Regal about CM Punk's kicks it. and strikes.
2: Ah, ah, oh, oh, that hurts!
0: Did you see what he was doing with his hands? Yeah, yeah, he was... Like, his fingers had went numb from the kicks. And what I love about doing.
1: Regal is, because, like, so many wrestlers will just fucking do that every time they try to sell. It's like, any little move, it's like, oh, my fingers, oh, my neck might be broken, because they all think of Steve Austin or whatever. And William Regal, he only pulls that out when it's relevant, when he wants to.
0: It's kind of little, tiny little touches like that that makes Punk's offense look so fucking devastating. Because Punk's got those big kick pads, so he does these big, hollow, gunk kicks to Regal's back and body. Oh my god, it's absolutely amazing. He sticks them into like an arm hold, and because it's no DQ, Regal reaches for the ropes, and the referee's like, oh, there's... There's, there's no rope break, I guess.
1: I know, it's great. There's a moment where that happens, and, like, where Regal has like Punk in the ropes, I think. Yeah. And the ref is like, whoa, back off. One, two, three. And the Regal goes to the ref, what? You can't do anything.
0: <laughs> or Punk has Regal in the, in the hold, he goes, I'm not going to break the hold. I'm going to break his arm. <laughs> Absolutely love it. It's like so creative. Mm. And I think like matches like this, where you get to see that little spark From you know, because Regal's rest of the bajillion matches, but him and Punk obviously yeah, they love each other. Two minds come in all of a sudden, they're like, let's do something a little bit different. Like, what? It's like a fun, fun, like kind of. I know, it's kinda of like, you know, like later in games you can get these little kind of things that make it slightly harder for you, you know, like you add it on so like you can't do certain moves and stuff like that. It's like go out and have a no DQ match, but you can't use any weapons. Yeah. But the no DQ aspect of it has to be a big, big part. I thought it was absolutely excellent. They like slam each other's hands into the ring post yeah. at various points. Really, really great. Punk gets folded up with a half Nelson suplex at one point, showing his insane flexibility. But we get the knee missing from William Regal. And then a slick transition into the GTS. We picks him up on his shoulders. I love Regal. is like banging and hitting on him the whole time. And then bam, he hits the GTS to go to sleep. Punk wins. I think that's one of my favorite little matches ever. It's glorious. Why do you think of a go to sleep? Punk's finisher where he has him up on the shoulders. And he throws him down and lands onto the knee and they hit the knee and go doo and get getting old knocked out. I think I liked
1: it. I don't really remember. I didn't realise that was his finisher.
0: Yeah, he has that. He also does the um the Anaconda Vice, which is that kind of arm submission where he traps their their arm and, and neck in there. But what do you think of the match? Did you like the, the stipulation? Was it all? I I I don't know if you thought this was all William Regal or if you thought these two just had a special chemistry or whatever.
1: <laughs> I liked this match a lot. Mm. I gave it four stars. Hey baby, it was really like it was as you say it was nice and short. It was really well paced. It was like entertaining. I don't know how many of my stars are because of William Regal and his hair. Like <laughs> so far, I haven't come out of any of these matches thinking, "Wow, CM Punk is amazing." Really, but like. It's wrestling and I have been doing this podcast long enough to know that sometimes a wrestler is very good because of the fact that you don't come out of their matches going, wow, they're amazing. It takes
0: two to tango. Yeah, exactly.
1: And like, obviously I know William Regal really well and I love him and he's like, he's a favourite wrestler of mine, so... You know, maybe the fact that you know I come out of all these matches thinking, you know, they were pretty good. I
0: was gonna make us watch Punk versus Undertaker. Yeah, and instead I was like, let's let's watch something from earlier in his in his WWE run instead, because we did watch later. We watched Lesnar and Punk from 2014. I thought, well, you've seen you know a very good match from a very broken down man i don't know if you need to see another one so yeah this was kind of this was i'm not gonna lie this was done with uh, the last match and its reaction in mind this is a little treat Thank I, I thought that you Thank would like you. this story. and i
1: did i really did like
2: this
1: <laughs> but yeah that's the thing like I, I i'm not finding that i'm going wow cm punk is so amazing and stuff because he's not very flashy mm. But he's obviously good. Like, he's putting on matches with William Regal. That's yeah. like, you know... And I know William Regal's amazing and he probably could put on a match with nothing. He probably put on a match with me and it would be amazing. <laughs> but, like, even still... Someone I can, book it. <laughs> I, I can tell that, like, Punk is is talented.
0: So he wins Money in the Bank once again, and this time it's viewed by him as being like a joke, like a rib that's been played on him because you have to carry that stupid fucking briefcase oh everywhere God. that says WrestleMania 25 on it. <laughs> so yeah, he is—he's um, not getting on well at the moment. He is frustrated with the the writers, and he's frustrated with Vince. He feels that Vince doubts him, and one thing that he said that he did, and he said this in multiple interviews. And this was the one thing where it's like, even considering all the various things about punk and, you know, well, he was like this for this reason or he was right, though, because they did this to him, him ripping up promos that were written for him in front of writers or ripping up TV in front of them i think is the rudest fucking thing in the world it's like when he talks about it he catches himself kind of going like oh shit that's horrible
1: especially given that he learned the whole of the (laughs) business from ovw like he would have known how much work goes into writing a show how you have to stay up till 4 a.m and then be up at 6 a.m the next day to like
0: book it look the concept of writers and there being a writing team and the concept of wrestlers not having the agency to use their own voice and their own feelings yes it sucks it's a problem in wwe it has led to you know a stagnation of promo ability and i as far as i'm concerned wwe is not the promo company and has been for many many years as a result of yeah absolutely no way yeah but it ain't the fault of someone who had to get up at one in the morning to get on a flight to Stanford to go and sit in Vince McMahon's, uh, the hallway by his office and then go in and get bollocked at for six hours and then write something that gets ripped up and then write it again then present it to you and then you rip it up in front of him. Yeah. Like, have some fucking empathy. It's the shittest job you could have yeah. while not taking bumps in wrestling yeah. is to be a writer for that fucking company.
1: But, would one of those writers have been Vince Russo? No. Oh, no, gap. this is long
0: past Russo's time. Oh, yeah, that would have
1: been really satisfying imagining CM Punk write, <laughs> ripping up Russo's writing.
0: So what is decided then is that he catches in on Jeff Hardy, and he's champion at the time, and this leads to Punk turning heel for the first time, which he really relishes because he considers himself a much more effective heel than he does as a babyface. And Jeff Hardy had, you know, had a long checkered past and. I mean, we saw it in 2020, didn't we? Over on Patreon, we were reviewing him wrestling sheamus in a bar. I gotta escape my personal demons, man, but they keep writing me in matches specifically about my personal demons. Well, in 2009, it was as good as picking as it was in 2020, and Punk came out. I remember Jeff Hardy fans who were to the verge of tears at some of the things that you say. It's like, look at you, Jeff. No wonder no one likes you anymore. You're drunk, probably, you know, every opportunity you've been given over and over you know, like he did with Raven. Not as viciously angry, more kind of like, Look at you, Jeff, like, God, all these people probably like you because they're all an ambient or something like that, mm. you know, because everyone in this arena is probably an addict. It was a slow introduction to a milder version of that caustic, straight edge character. What are your thoughts? Many people haven't heard it on the Patreon, but like using someone like Jeff Hardy you know, using his personal problems. Not against someone like say Seamus or whatever, but against mm. someone like CM Punk who lives a very different lifestyle.
1: Personally I think it's real shit. I don't blame Punk. I blame Vince and the the, the WBE. But um I was actually reading an article about, about this with Jeff Hardy only a couple of days ago. Oh really? Yeah And he defends the whole thing. He thinks he thinks it's absolutely fine for his real life addictions to be turned into storylines and made fun of because he believes he'll have a real happy ending someday.
0: That's nice of him to be at that point.
1: It is, but I
0: I'll I tell you at the time there was a, a f- after because Jeff was gone very quickly after this, and then I remember it was like a year or so afterwards, footage came out of Jeff like slurring his words, yeah. all drunk, being like CM Punk, you fucker, I made you a superstar, and like him and Matt Hardy be, like just making it known that they thought he was a piece of shit, and he like you know he, he shouldn't have said what he said, but it's like
1: I just think it's like yeah, what's the point of turning it into a storyline? Like who's getting over here? Because I don't think either of them do.
0: I think no, Punk definitely got over as a heel as a heel sure yeah. but like
1: but like at what cost like does Jeff getting over as a face no Jeff, really. Jeff
0: went away and had probably some of the worst years of his life yeah. after then. not saying it's because of CM Punk it's probably no, because it WWE yeah. as a whole played a role in that for yeah. sure yeah
1: like I don't I just think that's really fucking gross I think it's really sick and I can't imagine CM Punk was particularly happy making fun of a real life man's problems knowing that you know his <sighs> own
2: well like his own... I don't know he
1: talked what, you very think... fondly about really? this he thought it was good
2: business
0: you
1: know and it got over it got, over, it got really... over big like, oh for sure you know? I'm, I'm sure it did get over but i just think i don't know it just seems really cruel to like you know it, it but... wasn't
0: as cruel as like as it would get later on right you know, with, with other kind of stuff or i would say as it was previously when they in the area they use people's kind of personal problems but it was still pretty fucking you know pretty goddamn spicy you know, like if you were a kid, like that was the thing is that Jeff had so many kids who were fans and like hearing that about him was like, mm. Jesus fucking Christ, it was pretty rough for a lot of kids. It made a lot of kids much more passionate Jeff Hardy fans. Yeah. But the fact that he left the company afterwards was really miserable, I thought, like really fucking miserable.
1: Yeah. And I just feel like it's not going to make anyone who, you know, knows someone or maybe is suffering with, you know, addiction issues themselves. It's not going to make them feel very good about themselves, is it to like just mock a man who's obviously still very much going through it and that's
0: it you had punk at this point he was still like the punk you knew he looked like him still he was still kind of you know cool guy successful and all that mm. and he he was being just a little bit smarmier. he wasn't being this vicious guy but it was then he started feuding with the undertaker and uh <laughs> the uh, documentary they were like And Undertaker did not not respect CM Punk. He did not want to work with him. I
1: want that angle with Jeff Hardy to be done with him and The Undertaker. And The Undertaker's fucking obsession with whiskey or or guns.
0: Hey, I got to pretend to like whiskey so people think I'm a real man, Joe. But uh, he said, working with Punk, Undertaker begrudgingly respected them. He thought, you know. And that's something about Undertaker that I do like is that he'll he'll he won't stick by he's not like triple h where he'll yeah. hold his fucking heart till the end of time they had some killer matches and he respect them but punk was then kind of you know he, he was going against the undertaker so the idea is he had to give him a big bodyguard and that leads to him picking luke gallows He was like this is the absolute perfect guy to be my bodyguard and he wanted to tell a story that luke gallows had previously had a drug problem when he was a character called festus And the punk had gotten him clean and sober. So Gallows of View dressed like a skinhead, you know, the little ball cap and the leather vest and the camo fatigues and the big boots and all that. That expands out into a straight edge society where it's like people like Serena Deep, everyone gets their head shaved. Joey Mercury's in the group, who we found out real life hero CM Punk with Joey Mercury, who fell on hard times with drugs and alcohol. And his home was about to be foreclosed and uh Punk bought his house for him.
1: Why doesn't that get to be a wrestling angle? I'm just <laughs> saying, like how come yeah. how come like addiction issues are only ever made to like humiliate the person with the addiction problems? How come like you don't get a chance like that, like where someone actually gets, you know, an actual happy ending of real life yeah. that could be turned into a storyline where like CM Punk, if he wanted to do a babyface run, he could be like, Look, I'm a fucking Oh, I don't say I'm a saviour, but I kind of saved you. Haven't I? I paid off your house and you're sober now and you've got a community and friends.
0: I mean, uh, there's the cynic in me that says that's not going to put butts in seats because I don't want to see the man who saved someone's life fight someone or whatever. But I mean, they did like they did turn it in the sense because they have Joey Mercury being like, this man saved my life when no one else would. He saved my life. But they made it like, oh, punk. He's brainwashed them. Like that right, was the idea. The straight out society. They get fans in the ring and they'd be like, Do you drink? And I'm like, yes, I'm drunk right now and they'd shave their head and they'd be bawling, crying, like and Punk would, you know, put his hand up. He was influenced by all the kind of the late night uh, pastors and, you know, kind of uh crazy Christian conservative folks yeah, I
1: just feel like there's a wasted opportunity for this stable to start off as a face stable mm. like to start w- well meaning well meaning like, like yeah. we really are going to help people because I do believe that like, straight like, edge, like, like the new day they start yeah. off as a like good guy they realise
0: wait everyone thinks we're horrible maybe, yeah. maybe we are <laughs> and they take it too
1: seriously and take it too far like I think that would have told a really interesting story but
0: it, it was honestly probably the most interesting thing in wrestling at the time mm. the fact that punk was coming out just getting to cut these crazy promos being like kind of unhinged almost he like referred to himself as being a messiah you know he grew the, the beard long and this got crazy heat like particularly on the house shows you'd have like all women being like you're the devil you're not the messiah and all stuff like that Amazing. like gee you know that that's how you know you get that good heat the fact that that actually managed to be on wwe tv when they were pg is astounding to me why because it's like they're talking about you know what? Talking about drink and drugs and addiction and yeah. claiming to be a saviour and they're rigging and Christian things. They still do that themes. stuff today and they're still PG. I am, you're right, we've got Seth Rollins once again. Yeah. T- took more of that Messiah stuff, yeah. I guess. Fucking hell. <laughs> but they ended this angle quite prematurely. Uh, they thought, you know, the, the group themselves and Punk thought there was loads they could do with this. You know, they feuded with Mysterio and the, and, and uh, Big Show and a few others. He thought it was like main event ready, you know, that they could do huge stuff. And this kind of ended it. Like they ended it out of nowhere. They just like, I think I remember Punk and Gallows had a random match on Smackdown where Gallows was like, and after I win tonight, I'm going to have a beer. And whoa, that was, that was kind of it. Like, right. so like, I think the only thing worse than having nothing creative happen is having something very creatively fulfilling happen. And then it being completely taken away. Prematurely, that's wrestling. That's wrestling, baby. Where he refers to himself now as being the most pissed off man on the planet because it comes to WrestleMania season, he thinks he's the hottest ticket in town, and the main event is a match that you and I have watched: the Miz versus John Cena. And he is. Oh, is this the I Quit match? No, it's the one before. And that was the one where oh, Miz right. concussed himself, and it uh... ended on the uh, on the shitty. Uh, count out and then the rock came out and they just did it again and Miz is like i'm concussed and i win awful fucking shit but uh yeah he's very upfront about not liking the Miz.
1: yeah that's a shame because i'd love a Miz cm punk match
0: don't think you're gonna get it the last interaction they had was punk tweeting him last year saying go suck a blood money covered dick so uh
1: that's very unnecessary punk yeah why would you say that that's really
0: Uh, first of all it's homophobic uh
1: second of all the miss has done nothing to you what the fuck
0: i think we should probably point out as well like i do remember there was like uh there was footage around this time as well of him going around like um there was some house show where he got really riled up and some fan was jaw jacking with him and he started screaming in his face you have a vagina and all that and he had to uh he had to come out and apologize well that, i'm glad you know? he did
1: apologize that's good Yeah,
0: you know, this is the same man as well who around this time he caught a video about chris brown uh right. you know and he was like slowly taping his fist and he's like i don't like you i don't like what you do to women I want to beat you up. I feel like you should be in a situation where you feel helpless and I'm gonna make you feel like it was like I'm feeling like, wow, that's some powerful shit right there. But I think, you know, when you're just going out a stream of consciousness, yeah. say every angry thing you can, you know, a couple of clangers there. Yeah. And yes, Miz does partake of the blood money we can do without the homophobia, I guess. There are well. much
1: worse people in that business who partake in worse blood money activities than the Miz.
0: Yeah. He has his contract coming up. He wants things to change, you know. Uh, He's involved in some angles with, like, you know, groups like the Nexus and all that, but it feels like he is spinning his wheels. He's not where he was. I think he has, like, two weeks left, and he is told, you know, after not signing his contract for, like, 18 months out, they would keep asking to sign the contract, and he's told two weeks out, all right, you're going to like this. They're going to give you a microphone tonight. Go out and say what you got to say. John's going to be in the ring. You just come out and put a promo on him. And they're in Las Vegas and CM Punk comes out. I was watching this live on TV at the time. And this is of the very early instances of Twitter exploding. Everyone thought this was real on my timeline. Because I know I followed a bunch of <laughs> real wrestling fans. But we are talking of course about the Pipe Bomb. Which we finally sat down and watched... I think it was an impossible task to watch this for you because it's just like it's beyond the point of parody how overhyped it is. I think even Punk himself was a bit sick of it because he's like, everyone- he
1: says himself, he is. Yeah,
0: he's like, yeah, everyone says like, you fucking come out and you cut a promo, it's a pipe bomb, and like, oh, well,
1: because he says himself, it's not. This isn't even the pipe bomb. The, the pipe bomb happened earlier.
0: Yeah, that was in that was Ring of Honor. That was, that was a real. Ring Honor, yeah, but this is
1: just a reference to that.
0: It is a rehash in in a sense, but for most of us who hadn't seen that, this was. This was like a wrestler come out and kind of said, after you know six years of John Cena nonstop, kind of going, "I fucking hate this. I hate what wrestling is. I hate what this company is, and it's not just a kayfabe thing. It's it's wrong because of this lad who's running it in the back." And how how was it to watch? Did you enjoy it? Was it entertaining? The actual promo itself. Were there any like kind of highlight bits or anything like that? What did you reckon to it?
1: It was all right. Yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> um. He basically cut a heel promo. But he did it while he was sitting down. And apparently it wasn't planned, but I don't
0: believe that. What, you think he had all rehearse what he's going to say?
1: No, I don't think Punk ever rehearses what he says. I think he's a general improviser.
0: But you say, like, you, you knew that like they were going to...
1: I think they knew what they were doing. They knew
0: what they were doing. They were going to cut his mic at a certain point.
1: I think they were going to cut his mic at exactly the moment where he mentions Vince McMahon, personally.
0: Well, I, he mentions, he says, yeah, well, the bullying, know, just the you, bullying
1: campaign. Do You think it's the bullying campaign that gets him cut off? I think it's the personal story about Vince McMahon. Because mm. that would tell a story, narratively, of the WWE. It's like, Vince McMahon doesn't want his personal life told about. I think it's coincidental that right, it was going to yeah. be about the bullying. I think, which they also don't want him to talk about, obviously. Yeah, obviously. but
0: I think yeah Vince is probably more the the, the prize calf and that I just
1: think they were waiting for the perfect time to cut him off, knowing we have to stop him at some point, because otherwise he will just go on forever. And that would make a nice narrative end point, because like, oh, Vince is back there and he's turning off the mics.
0: What is kind of stand out about this and watching you experience it for the first time and even though we've been doing this podcast for a long time and you've got you know you've got good knowledge of 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 a lot of aspects of wrestling oh do i you do Thank you. and i'm very impressed (laughs) but it's my job it was somewhat shocking to me how much of like a cheat sheet you almost needed to know what he was talking about for a promo that you're not saying like oh people say it it was it was the point that brought back reams of lapsed wrestling fans Mm. like Untold numbers. I had people who hadn't watched wrestling since I was a kid messaging me on Facebook, going, oh, You see this? See what he's talking about. But he's talking about stuff like Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar, you know, the, the lineage of the McMahon family and who's running the company and all that. Like, there's a lot of it that if you weren't a very jaded old school wrestling fan, I don't think you'd understand. I, I would hazard to say a lot of it maybe went over your head because of the context of him saying, Stuff about Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, that means nothing now. But in 2011, that was, like, <gasps> the forbidden texts, you know? Like, it was a big, big deal that he mentioned those names. It's
1: weird to me as, a, like, a modern viewer, because, like, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar are fucking, like, the chosen ones. They're We're so every... sick of them. <laughs> imagine and, like, them
0: being outcasts now, The right? idea
1: of, like, him choosing to talk about Brock Lesnar rather than Samoa Joe. Mm-hmm.
0: Or him mentioning... Joe's
1: right there in like TNA at this
0: time, yeah.
1: like fucking still as good as he's always been. Brock Lesnar's a piece of shit. What's he done for you, Punk?
0: But he's, um he mentions Ring of Honor. He mentions New Japan Pro Wrestling. When he says it, you can hear people in the audience going like, <gasps> that.
1: That is shocking to me. That's the only thing that really shocked me because you would never get that. I don't think you get that before or since. Yeah, the mentioning of arrival promotions.
0: The line that I still love and it has strange meaning in 2021 Nearly 10 years since this promo it's crazy to think where he said I'd like to think this company be better after Insign Man dies but the truth is it will be taken over by his idiotic doofus daughter son. and doofus son-in-law <laughs> and it's like you know what if it was that at least that's, that's actually a lot better than what it seems like on the table is going to happen you know, I like to think this company's up better off when Vincent is dead, but the fact of the matter is it's gonna be taken over by I don't know Amazon or fucking Disney or NBC Some guy
1: called Nick Khan, some, Bruce Pritchard some
0: conglomerate of yeah. fucking joyless CEOs. The, the
1: shareholders.
0: I don't know, man. It's yeah, it's 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 it was strange, you know, because it in many respects is the point at which WWE is like, okay, maybe we can say the word wrestling. Okay, maybe we can make reference to there being an outside world of wrestling. Hmm. and then Punk follows this up by saying I'm leaving and I've got a title shot against John Cena when I leave I am going to take this championship with me and I'm gonna get out of this company I'm gone see ya and I'm gonna take this belt with me uh wh- who knows what I'll do with it you know uh, who knows I might I might show up at a different company and defend it and I will tell you right now." The big thing about this, and the nostalgia and the joy that people had for this, was people thought that Punk was going to take this title and go to Ring of Honor and defend it against, you Aww. know, Tyler Black, or he's going to go to TNA and defend it against Samoa Joe, or maybe he'll go to some little indie show in front of fifty people and take the title with them. People thought it was going to be this whole big, huger than wrestling metaverse, which moment. is exactly
1: what he wanted. And it's, it's so clever and WWE are fucking idiots for not immediately giving him all the money in the world and going, oh shit, we could be fucking Marvel before Marvel is Marvel. I know, right? Like, he had such a good idea. And it's like, obviously now what AEW are actually doing. They've yeah. created a metaverse of wrestling where they can actually enter other promotions. Yeah, Kenny Omega,
0: he's went around the He's def- gone around, around the world, fucking,
1: yeah, just like, it's, yeah, they've done it. They've act like this... Obviously that Tony Khan is such a CM Punk fan, but like, yeah, like it works for a reason and it's such a good idea. Why on earth did it have such an impact on so many people then who weren't currently wrestling fans if it went over so many people's heads? Like surely the average person would go, well, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know who that ring of honor is.
0: Well, I'd say there was two, there was two kind of breed of lapsed fan who I would say got in touch with me. This is my personal experience at the time. It would have been the Laps fan, like my, my mate Paddy, who you know loved watching wrestling, but was kind of just didn't just didn't enjoy the WWE product currently. He and was,
1: so what he he had been watching Ring of Honor and stuff.
0: We we'd watch like a Ring of Honor pay per view together, or we'd put on a bit of Fergal Devot in New Japan and be like, all right, gonna watch a bit of wrestling. He's not watching week to week. He did watch a bit back in the OG era, but he doesn't read the dirt sheets or care about all that stuff a guy coming out and saying this product stinks and it stinks for these systemic reasons and i want it to be different that was enough to make him go oh shit okay maybe it'll be a little bit more interesting maybe it'll be better there's the other breed of wrestling fan which would be like my brother or my mate jamie or something like that and they would have been like i love wrestling passionate about it i read the dirt sheets i watched everything i could get my hands on and then john cena and randy (laughs) orton came along and they made this sport of titans into the sports entertainment kitty clown playtime mm. shit show and they will probably watch Wrestlemania every other year anyway still
1: and but- they wouldn't have watched ring of honor and stuff like no,
0: that no 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 but hearing this a guy come and say yeah fuck this shit make him think oh we're going to bring the Attitude chair back because people are acting like he was being stone cold steve austin he was and
1: he kind of was like absolutely yeah he was you know? he was fuck the man it
0: was and it fuck was
1: the corporation and it was
0: fuck the corporation in a very 2011 way and there's two other things that go into that number one twitter because Twitter was was kind of an unproven commodity at the point. This is when Twitter would still be kind of mentioned sneeringly by WWE. Was he on Twitter? Uh, no, he no he was on Twitter at the time, yeah. But um this kind of proved the power of that of the the, the reach of Twitter, it was, yeah. you know, very much proved to WWE that you want to be in on the social media game. It's not a side it is the world now. This is how communi- people communicate another part of it as well is The Rock had announced, you know, earlier in the year that he was coming back. And I think that meant that there were already some people who were kind of like...
1: Oh, oh, right, sniffing around.
0: And I don't think many people want to admit that CM Punk's amazing pipe bomb was buttressed or enhanced or given a little bit of a buff by the fact that The Rock was coming back. But him saying the fact that The Rock is back and he's in the main event and I'm not makes me sick. Yeah. And it made a lot of people go like, yeah, I, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but I care about the hard working wrestlers. I would like Mick Foley and Steve Austin, the journeyman, not this pretty boy john cena randy orton developmental type i want the real wrestlers he's a real wrestler that guy it resonated with people that Hmm. way i think you know but i don't know if it has that same power now i don't think it can have that same power i don't
1: know if it's a case of now or if it's a case of it depends on what type of wrestling fan you are because like as i said i like the kiddie style playtime with john cena and randy orton like that that they're, i like them
0: but i think you were having more fun watching punk when he was like making fun like doing we watched the segments with him and johnny ace and him oh and vince that and him was and a triple ma- h
1: the stuff with him and triple h and johnny ace and i think was john cena there as well yeah and vince was signing. in one as
0: well for the contract didn't sign. like the vince one the Vince one was a bit shit because yeah. vince is
1: just shit when he's old um but <laughs> the other stuff was really good um i think because you can tell that johnny and triple h and Punk hate each other. Yeah. You can feel it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And I, I love, love it. And
0: I think Punk's his sense of humour and his sense of morals that it comes across in in, in this promo and the ones that came after this. Yeah. And I think it was just the fact that they were giving him the mic now. People were like, great, he can talk. He's, he can say what's on his mind.
1: And the fact that as well, he was... You know, he's a representative of a generation that was pissed off. Yeah. You know, we mentioned that earlier in the episode. It was kind of like a big cultural movement of our generation was we're all pissed off. Yeah. And here's a guy who's like saying, "I'm pissed off. You guys all suck."
0: It is very much the "I'm mad as hell, I won't take it anymore." Yeah. You know, that period of time in specifically wrestling.
1: I think it probably spoke to a lot of people who were similarly pissed off.
0: But when you speak to that many people and you reach that many people and you get their hopes up in so many very specific little ways i kind of i i couldn't think this would be anything other than the greatest shit ever this was going to start this like renaissance of wrestling and it definitely did signal a change and a pivot of sorts which how long lasting that change is remains to be seen i guess you know
1: you don't think the change was permanent
0: i see the attitude towards the indies and towards personal personalities authentic people as opposed to characters that are constructed in wrestling i, I see that now the, the the momentum in wwe i would say but the culture of wrestling like uh, there's a part of me that thinks there wouldn't be an aew or there wouldn't be like there wouldn't be the indies as we know them or knew them in those the years that came after had it not been for this this yeah. kind of this felt like a ringing endorsement of the fucking world around wwe yeah.
1: no for sure yeah? i i 100 believe yeah AEW would not be around if it weren't for the pipe bomb
0: and i think that's that's like that's that's a big statement, but I oh, I, yeah, I, I stand by that. I don't
1: think maybe that was what he wanted to have the impact on. You know, I think him and the fans maybe would have preferred that change to happen in WWE.
0: Or, or get 12 months of awesome TV of yeah. Punk going around the world or whatever, but that didn't but happen.
1: The change was more significant than that, and I think that's always this, a sign of true change, is when it doesn't just happen
2: it's
0: gradual. quickly yeah. and
1: temporarily. You yeah. know, like, it, okay, the, the change in WWE was temporary. They signed these really cool indie stars like Samoa Joe and people like that, and then... Okay, they've slowly let them all go and stuff, but it was only because they were signing these people and then not treating them with the respect and, and the care the, the that, care that need, they yeah. deserved that then you know people like Tony Khan went. This is shit. Yeah, you know, CM Hawking right, actually yeah. said it was shit ten years ago, and it's still shit. It's, and yeah. it's not changed. And I want it to change, and I can change it.
0: It's not the the vehicle or the way we thought it would happen. No, but definitely butterfly effect. But this, like, yeah. yeah,
1: the pipe bomb. I can imagine Tony Khan sitting at home and going, "Fuck yes."
0: What I can't imagine though is the sheer volume of people who did this in like speech and drama class I know. or my a-level spoken word piece now i'm just gonna say i i got my grade eight speech and drama uh, and i got a distinction in it and i did read out the uh mick foley uh i read out from McFoley's autobiography about <laughs> when he uh, had cookies in his bed oh uh, god with diamond dallas page and uh, i made my my examiner laugh by reading it out and i, I the only the one thing I, I didn't do was do it in a McFoley voice i read it in my own voice but the idea of like you know Fucking seventeen-year-old sitting down. All right, it's time for the A-level final piece. Sit cross-legged. This is a pipe bomb.
1: <laughs> <is> so funny. <laughs> imagine
0: Seth Rollins in his uh, oh, amateur yeah. drama class doing the pipe bomb or whatever it is, you know. But uh, this takes us to the historic Money in the Bank 2011 pay-per-view as John Cena takes on the CM Punk for the WWE Championship in his hometown of Chicago. Actually, I think. You know what, true to form, I think every CM Punk match we've watched for this episode has been in his hometown of Chicago. <laughs> what, really? Because him and Joe was in Chicago, him and Regal, he came out with a flag, he was in Chicago, and here we are, Chicago. Chicago's favourite son, or wow. is it Colcabana? I'm not sure, but there you go, the man is from Chicago. <laughs> I think the promo package at the start of this is one of the best ones they've ever done.
1: I don't remember it, what was it about?
0: It says either the counting down the clock, he'd kind of rehashed the, uh, the pipe bomb. You say like, you know, say goodbye to CM Punk. You know, oh, and, you wait, know. no,
1: hang on, I remember this. I, I, yeah, it was all right, but I didn't like the stipulation that John Cena would get fired. Oh,
0: yeah, that clangor. Wait, well, I
1: forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, because it obviously doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> well, because John Cena still works for the WWE.
0: I, I'm pretty sure they fired him and he, like... What happens after this was a fucking shit show. Like John does like, I think he gets fired and then immediately comes back.
1: Oh really? Like, what a surprise. You what know, kind of bullshit
0: thing it is. The crowd reaction for CM Punk. I kind of told you beforehand, you might get vibes of Rob Van Dam and John Cena at One Night Stand, which I know is one of your, your faves. Yeah. Just for the, the there's, there's a partisan crowd and then there's a crowd that is like so big it becomes the third man in the match. And I think this is, this is one of those nights. Yes. Chicago very much anticipating cm punk to win this match (laughs) they have a big chat on commentary i think the commentators do a really great job on this one about like the lineage and how scary it is for this WWE championship to potentially go away and not be in the company like vince mcmahon's father will be rolling in his grave all this type of stuff they're talking about survivor series 1997 (laughs) and when and i quote bret hart he wanted to leave with the belt no he he didn't stop that, that now pesky
1: Bret Hart he just wanted to you know what else he was going to steal the belt in the dead of night and they had it all locked up it was Shawn Michaels belt actually and he was it was under lock and key and then he broke into Shawn Michaels locker it, yeah. and he did a shit in his locker and he stole the belt in the dead of night and but luckily the and heroic he came- <laughs> Vince McMahon and Earl Hebner were there to stop him and hey. Triple H was there as well
0: and he came out there on, uh, on Raw didn't he? he's like I'm going to put this WWF championship on the desk of Eric Bischoff <laughs> because that's the kind of Guy, I am <laughs> me,
1: Bret Hart.
0: <laughs> I'm known for this.
1: Old Vince was in this uh promo package at the beginning, yeah, yeah. and he sounds like a one of those grumpy animal crossing neighbors. <laughs>
2: We've well, we, we done this on <laughs> while, but
0: there's, there's old Vince McMahon, which is <laughs> <laughs> that's like <laughs> middle aged <laughs> Vince. And then there is. <laughs> He's old here, isn't he? Very old. But he's not—he's not in that like new Vince man where he's like, "Oh shit, I'm old. Quickly, give me a new head, Padre."
1: Yeah, he's not like cursed, which is like entertaining in its own way. It's like flat Vince after he loses his shit. hair to Trump,
0: is what it is. I
1: hate this so much. He—I can't make out what he's saying. He's giving nothing to this. I hate him. I hate him so yeah, much. You
0: hated that punk Vince bit. I, I, I thought him. you'd like it.
1: No, I hate him. because like, it makes me really angry.
0: You—you you often say how much you love Vince. I do. Pay-per-view classic is the. Vince McMahon fan club for Joe Graham yeah,
1: by it the is. way no, I have very clear thoughts on Vince McMahon I love him as a performer when he's doing it well Yeah, but I fucking hate him every other time and he's an evil piece of shit and I think what is the point of him? I think he's—he shouldn't be on television. Right, if so he's not—he's
0: not entertaining enough to forgive him for being a monster. Is yeah, what you're saying at he's, the moment? He's—I
1: love him as an entertainer when he's good because it kind of makes up for the fact a little bit to me selfishly, personally, it makes up a little bit for the fact that he's so evil
0: because Bitsing it's Man, like the palm oil of yeah, wrestling because like, he's
1: an effective heel like you're supposed to hate him but here he is he's pathetic and old I can't hear what he's saying and he's evil and he's not even reminding me of his evilness in an entertaining way I just want him to go away I want him to just retire I want him to be just just unhappy in a little nursing home you,
0: you want to say so long padre I but... want to say so long
1: padre turn off the lights good luck with your future endeavours walk off on
0: that bigfoot foot fuck off yeah <laughs> (laughs) I hate him. This match is a masterclass of uh, crowd control because... It is still very much about these two guys wrestling, and they're not distracted by it. But there's a few moments like where they're chanting, "You can't wrestle," and Punk is like, "With me or like, or oh him, yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> and there's also the uh, secondary objective in this one, and if Punk does this, he gets extra experience points, which is Operation Get Cole Cabana on camera by any fucking means necessary.
1: <laughs> they refer to him because he goes over at one point and <laughs> gives him a hug, and Jerry Lawler's like, "See, I'm Punk there greeting some fans. We
0: wrestled for you a year ago, lads. Honestly." this was a bit here now where i got like a little emotional and a little bit like sad about punk and cult because their relationship never changed even when one guy was like the biggest wrestler in the world the other guy was still you know you know making the towns and hustling for every five dollar you know headband he could sell at the the at the gimmick table afterwards and their relationship stayed the same and that was documented on Art of Wrestling. Punk would come on, even when he was champion, be like, hey, it's here to chat, you know, just showing up on the guy, you know, not too not too big a celebrity, not too big a deal to chat with his his best friend and all that. And Punk would wear coca bana t shirts all the time. He would plug him where he can, he'd name drop him constantly. And I just remember thinking like, that's that's how fucking friends should act. If one of you becomes a big fucking deal, you help the other guy out like that. And like it just made me so sad to think that, you know, later on this relationship would devolve into him saying to the guy, you're a fucking parasite. And you're trying to squeeze me for every dollar I've got. It's, it's so sad, you know, just like that is a pure friendship. I know we said it in the cult episode, but like that was what WWE, that was their real vengeance there. Oh yeah. Was they took something that, it, like, it honestly, it made me cringe to watch those moments. It made this match actually really hard. It made watching the pipe bomb less fun mm. because I remember like him be like, he mentioned Colgabana Cabana, I'm I'm listening to his podcast right now, Ah," you know, just, Mm -hmm. oh man, heartbreaking fucking stuff, but what's going on in the ring, is CM Punk and John Cena putting on, a bit of a masterclass here, and I don't think I've watched this match, since I've, kind of gained that newfound respect for John Cena. His guy, this guy knows how to, oh, to yeah. work a big match.
1: It's amazing because the, the match starts and Cena immediately goes right in with the heel rest holds yeah. and the crowd start booing and he actually tries not to laugh <laughs> at them booing him. It's it's like you can see in his eyes, it's like here we go, like they're doing exactly, they're playing right into my hands. I know they are exactly where I want them to be.
0: I'm just saying one thing, right? I want there to be a special director's uh, cut of the pipe bomb where afterwards, after Punk Gets his mic cut, and he's like, "You're trying to silence me!" That John Cena gets up from the broken table, pulls himself together, finds a hat, puts it on, and goes, Fan speech." <laughs> but alas, we're we're left without it. This, these two, it's crazy to think a guy who is synonymous for wrestling, the likes of Samoa Joe and Brian Danielson, etc., etc., that I think honestly his best dance partner ever is probably John Cena. These mm, guys, good big match feel right here i really
1: enjoy as well seeing punk wrestle these big guys like when you see him against like brock lesnar or samoa joe or john cena because he's clearly very very strong Mm. he lifts john cena up above his head like it's nothing that got a
0: big pop from you picking oh absolutely it's
1: always going to be anything like that where a small guy picks up a big guy especially someone like john cena who i can only imagine is even heavier than he looks. Which yeah. is already heavy.
0: There is actually a point later in the match. It's when Punk hits the GTS onto John finally. And John, like, he, he gets knocked out, but he falls out of the ring. And then Punk is, has, like, trying to pick him up. And he, like, it's the only time I ever remember at that point watching someone putting over how difficult it must be to lift up a big fucking muscle Dead man. weight, yeah. he literally, it's like when we were trying to get our double mattress up the yep. stairs. Like, putting your head underneath the going. Yeah. Like, it was awesome. He sold john's fucking body as this immovable object and i think somebody deserves a shout out on this because when it started it's like uh uh-oh we got michael cole jerry lawler and booker t the dream team on commentary they make this match (laughs) because their descent into outright sycophanty is (laughs) fucking brilliant where they're like well, a lot of people cheering for CM Punk here, but you got to bear in mind CM Punk, he has a history of brainwashing people and <laughs> yeah, I think he's just brainwashed everyone in this audience cuz he's a jerk and no one should like him.
1: <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask, when CM Punk came out, under his name was written The Nexus. Why yes. is he The Nexus?
0: CM Punk was actually at the time a leader of a faction called the Nexus. Uh, How to explain the Nexus? The original NXT was involving... It was like a reality show almost. You had pros and rookies from developmental. And all of the rookies at the end of the first season, they all bandied together and formed this super group called the Nexus, of which Daniel Bryan was a part of. I remember that. And they were like, we want to destroy wrestling because they all treat us so badly. And through loads of bullshit backwards, backflipping... CM Punk became the leader of the Nexus Okay. which is so important he's not even wearing his Nexus armband here tonight <laughs> some fake Nexus fan he is they are playing on fans jaded expectations in a masterful way John Cena busts out the five moves of doom that makes the crowd not groan but like scream in anguish and when John picks up for the A everyone's like oh well they're all sitting there going, Well, well it's going to be another 10 years of John Cena I guess then <laughs> just about 10 years just about with a few breaks Punk kicks out of two attitude error adjustments, which causes John Cena for the first time in his career to get up and go over to the referee and be like, are you sure that was a two count? Because I could have sworn it was three. I like that. He pushes nice guy John just to the limit a little bit. We then get uh, some some really interesting bits here. I, I think, you know, in terms of having kind of outside interference on the backdrop of this having vince mcmahon and this was the first kind of on-screen appearance of johnny ace as well i always heard that name is like, oh he's the guy who fires people and seeing both of them come out and vince mcmahon I'm like go ring the bell and like you're all you went you were swerved by this dare i say i've not seen you react like this to something in wrestling when you're like wait what are they doing what are they doing because they were going to do a screw job joe
1: no, I wasn't surprised. I was waiting for this. I genuinely <laughs> was expecting this because there were so many references around CM Punk's career to the Montreal screw job. Mm. I was like, well, they'd be idiots not to lean into that. Yeah, yeah. After what he said on the pipe bomb. Like, yeah, yeah. They really would be stupid. They'd be pissing money away. So I'm glad <laughs> they did this. I just thought that they'd be successful.
0: Ah, I thought of, this
1: was how the match would end.
0: I love that it's John that comes out and he's like, no, nope, not this way. I will not be Sean Michaels. Love it. <laughs> I will love not it. lie for you, Vince.
1: I love it as well because in a way, it's actually him being a heel by doing
0: that. Yeah, in, in a roundabout <laughs> but way. in yeah. a
1: face way for yeah, him. Yeah. It's, I like that so much. He's he's so good at what he does.
0: As soon as John goes back into the ring, he gets the GTS. Punk wins crowd explodes pure emotion punk has probably the happiest look i've ever seen on his face before since after you know it, it, he is just unbridled pure joy and i love vince mcmahon be like no 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 this isn't how we do this you know he wants the money in the bank yeah. guy out here Get the wheel. and like i remember watching this live me and my, me and my friends we were st- we were literally stood up because we were convinced ah yeah ah because we were like, they booked themselves into a corner. Punk can't actually leave. They won't actually let him leave. They won't actually let him do this. Of course the money bank. I know Punk runs away, blows a kiss to Vince. And Vince, I know he's not the best performer here. But because he's kind of crumpled and shit looking in his big suit, him stood there going,
1: oh. That's what I hated That's what I so really pathetic. hated I hate that Because why is he pathetic? Are we supposed to feel sorry for him? Bit, I, I don't want to feel sorry for Vince McMahon I, I want him to be fucking angry I want him to say Oh god damn it You piece of shit punk oh, I'm gonna fucking get you That's the Vince I want to see That's the it's Vince I love I
0: feel like Vince thinks That that character isn't like It's not That's not him anymore It's like I'm this He's wrong Quiet guy I don't
1: think he can do it anymore I think that's All he can do is be sad and old Because that's what he is
0: So so that night punk posts a picture the WWE championship is in his refrigerator uh with a, w- w- with a six pack of pepsi and it's <laughs> just you know the disrespect i loved it and for a moment in wrestling all felt very right and perfect how'd you get on with this one this one was also awarded a, a five star rating at the time uh punk one of the very few people, that was one of the only American wrestlers I can think of who's been given not one, but two five-star matches. I can't believe John Cena has a
1: five-star yeah, match.
0: first five-star match WWE got since 1997 at the time. Yeah. So like, this wasn't just a case that like, oh, this was you know fodder for the WWE fans. This was considered by all of wrestling. Now, even when you had Ring of Honor firing on all cylinders at the time and TNA had a, had, had a lot going for it as well at the time. Hogan and Bischoff were there. Like wrestling was kind of on the up. This was considered to be the cream of the crop. How did you get on with it? What, what do you think of Punk versus Cena? I, I know again, it's another another wrestler that you quite like. He's been paired with here mm.
1: <laughs> again, and and it's I came out of this thinking, wow, John Cena's great. <laughs> But I I really liked parts of this match. You know, and I I definitely was impressed with Punk's wrestling in this match.
0: I think probably more
1: so than most of the others. With the exception of like his match against Joe, I liked some of his high flying stuff.
0: There is a kind of a, a next gear like a reckless abandon here mm. that we didn't see. Like I think even in the Brock Lesnar match, so. Yeah,
1: he's going all out here. Yeah. Which he should. It's John Cena and he with everything Biggest he's, match of his life. Yeah, with everything he's been saying about John and with everything John has behind him like this needed to be taken seriously and I I appreciate that it was I just couldn't give it as high a rating as I would have liked to because it was I came into this match thinking well it's a foregone conclusion how this is going to end which Mm. is that Punk is going to lose and Cena is going to win but you were swerved
0: successfully then so that's not that's that's good then right
1: no because it didn't pay off I can't imagine Punk went on a different promotion with the belt, did he? Okay. And but I can't I, imagine I, that John Cena was fired for
0: very long. Okay, but So I, that
1: doesn't pay off. That doesn't count. So... That's nothing. It doesn't pay that, do that Does
0: that impact your rating of the match though, yes. Knowing that yes. it doesn't go anywhere? Yes. Okay. Because I know we alluded to in the Kevin Nash episode that, you know, Punk is shooting with Kevin Nash shortly after this. Uh, And not John Cena, and not for the WWE Championship.
1: If WWE had fucking done as they should have done, and what AEW are doing, and made it into this like metaverse of Mm. wrestling, and it had led somewhere, and John Cena- imagine this, John Cena's fired he has to go get a job in Ring of Honor ah, or TNA now. or whatever and meanwhile That's CM Punk is on some other promotion with the belt and John has to go and chase him to get the title back now that would be amazing and then oh
0: imagine in two years of time you want to have an NXT you know North America and an NXT Mexico and an NXT Japan and an NXT Germany you could have built the ground for those promotions by having these guys travel around the world a little bit yeah. and it's not as if they were lacking in talent at the time you still had Triple H, Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels, Chris, you had everyone you had all these names so many names
1: you would have had this amazing like John Cena as like a heel on the indies like representing the WWE sports entertainment style in a way that would have gotten people like me interested in the indie developments because it would be like oh it's now it's silly and gimmicky because you've got John Cena there works both
0: ways it could have even worked if John stayed in the company as a heel go and I ran him out of town and then he punk does that loop and then he comes back I'm the real champion and then you've got you know, you got a new stone cold and a rock there, exactly. basically. So, all that being said, what is your rating then for it? Because I get there's an existential crisis that hangs over the end of this match, and I guess it's so big you, you can't ignore that. That's fair. It's your rating. So, so
1: this match rating was a bit like the final vows between Alana and Jason in this season's Married at First Sight Australia. Whoa,
0: there's a big however coming here. <laughs>
1: And I changed my mind midway through talking about it.
0: So did it go up or did it go down?
1: It went up. I gave it two and a half stars at first. Jesus. And then watching, like talking it through again, I was like, no, that's not fair. It deserves more. So I gave it three and a half stars. Three and a half stars. But I can't give it, it probably would be a four and a half star match for me, if not higher, if they had just taken storyline somewhere and i'm not saying they had to do the whole big thing that we were just talking about but yeah, like if yeah. they'd just done something. something with it do you know what they did no but i'm guessing it was not very good
0: i think i <laughs> was...
1: thing is i've never heard about
0: it <laughs> so the next week they did a thing where it's like john cena had like a mini tournament where Oh no they did a mini tournament to decide the new champion and Rey mysterio won and then john beat ray later on the night so john became champion again Cool. And then the next week, Punk came back with the belt. And I do remember when he came back with the belt, they were just in some kind of random town. Not like, you know, Chicago or Philly or New York. Just some random town. And he didn't get a great... He got, he got a good reaction, but he didn't get like a, ah, he's back! It was like, oh, he's back. Yeah. Already? Now, mm-hmm. he did show up at like a Comic Con. I think he showed up at like one indie show. But he didn't like wrestle or anything like that. He just kind of, you know, had a week or two off.
1: They wouldn't have even need to have Punk wrestle. Like, honestly, if it had been me, I would have like, you know... Paid for him to go on like talk shows and stuff with the belt. Yeah, that's funny. Like, all, all the
0: chat about you know
1: be like the discredited champion. It's like I've been a you know I've been kicked out of the industry. They hate me. I'm the reject. And
0: <laughs> he, he was saying you know, in, in the pipe bomb like I'm not on Fallon. I'm not on all these shows. You know get yeah. interviewed. And then he's saying after this he was getting calls from, you know GQ magazine mm. and ESPN and all that. And he did fuck all. Like he did some stuff, but it was very much like they didn't want him yeah. to go off and become his own star. I think they still wanted him to be their their kind of property uh what happened joe was that he got immediately into a feud with triple h who had oh since, i bet that went well he had since uh announced that he was coo and was stepping away from the wrestling ring and he was no longer going to be uh you no going to be an active performer he was retired and then he came out of retirement to face cm punk and he beat cm punk in punk's uh, big big match with him so he got buried <laughs> So, you know, he faced John Cena at SummerSlam and at the end of that match he got attacked by Kevin Nash. He was meant to face Kevin Nash. That didn't happen. He faced Triple H and, uh, yeah, Triple H beat him in that match. Triple H came out of retirement as a replacement and beat CM Punk, the hottest thing in wrestling. And, like, he just beat him with the pedigree. It wasn't even like, oh, you know, screw job. No, he just beat him. Now, Punk did get the title back. He got it back in a Survivor Series that November. He won it off Del Rio. And he did have a 400-and-something day reign as the champion. It's not really about
1: the days, though, is it? It's Uh about how you book them.
0: And he was, at the start, booked... You know not as the top guy because John Cena and The Rock were having their feud and that was the top thing
1: well and, and still as you said the roster is fucking swollen with yeah. these like legends
0: and you know Triple H is coming out of retirement Undertaker's coming out once a year for retirement oh who's coming back this year Brock Lesnar's coming back in 2012 in retirement as well so you have all these guys who are coming back and Punk you know he had great feuds don't get me wrong he had excellent feuds with you know Jericho he had some great matches with Dolph Ziggler Daniel Bryan but it was always like second or third in the card there was yeah a pay-per-view that was headlined by john cena versus johnny ace and punk was earlier in the card against you know defending the title saying "I'm i'm the i'm the man i'm important now there was a point where he did turn heel and he was aligned with paul Heyman then and he was you know had this mentality and i hate when this happens in wrestling the mentality is like i'm the champ i'm the man so i gotta wrestle every day twice on sundays Every one I wrestle, I got to make better. Every match I have has to be worth the price of admission. The guy buying the ticket is buying it because they want to see me. I'm the champion. I'm the standard bear. So he basically ran himself ragged for those 400 and something days. Right. You know, wrestling long matches, house show loop, nonstop. You'd see pictures of him and he would literally be cocooned in ice Mm. and, and cellophane because, you know, he had to chill his body down. He'd be going on these juice fast, cut weight and all Aww. that. He looked miserable. He looked miserable. It worked with his character because he was a heel and miserable and all that. But he fucking... Not really good for your dreams. And of course, the sad thing about it is that the pipe bomb began with... One of the big bones of contention is the fact that The Rock is coming back. And he's in the main event makes me sick. And he main evented that year at WrestleMania. And the next year at WrestleMania, The Rock main evented again. And the person who The Rock took the title off was CM Punk. Now, we watched The Rock and CM Punk have a verbal confrontation, a big long segment. And I was just wondering, like, their interaction, that kind of atmosphere. Did you think that Punk and The Rock gelled? Did you think that it did Punk any favours? or
1: It felt like they were from two different TV shows. Like it felt like one of them was from like a '90s kids cartoon. And Cookie
0: Puss. Yeah. Cookie
1: Puss. Bu- and the other one was from like MTV.
0: I you give you have to understand, folks. I'm here watching all like hours of this shit with Joe, and I have to turn around and be like, "Well, there's this like ice cream cake they have, and um, <laughs> does it? And you're like, does it look like him? No, it's a cat. And then and you're like, did it follow him around for the rest of his days? No. <laughs>
1: That's the thing, because, like, The Rock goes, he talks for fucking five minutes. Hours. He's like, oh, and this word, I'm going to say a word now that the the fans will chant, and they will chant this now, and it's going to be fucking cutting you, and it's going to ruin your career, and it's going to follow you around for the rest of your days. And here we go. I'm going to say what word it's going to yeah, be. Here it comes, it's folks. It's going to be really cool. Whatever this word is that comes out of my mouth, oh, it's going to be iconic. This right. massive, cool world. This, this is going to be the oh, new my. three. 16 right here. my What's god, it the gonna rock's be? about to say the word. That's the word. Cookie puss. Cookie puss. And the crowd are like, huh?
0: huh? Alright Cookie. Uh, but yeah, good, good one rock. Puss? What the fuck's he talking about? Sounds rude. <laughs> Is it supposed to sound rude? and i was what here is a cookie puss? i i didn't realize i showed you this problem because i'm like oh there's a bit where he goes your arms you're just too short to box with god and i'm all like i'm covered in goosebumps yeah. thinking about the bit i'm gonna show joe and then the rocks there going it doesn't matter what you like, Cookie I, I, I honestly was like jeez we're not doing a rock episode for a while because you got a fucking bad taste in your bad first swig of the rock there that's all i'm saying Mark. oh
1: as if this is my first swig of the rock that's <laughs> left me with a sour taste in my mouth god <laughs> Ru- damn it Well,
0: rumble 99 still Fuck in there you, rock i hate
1: the rock oh my god <laughs> i hate him so much he's so shit and you know what else like i would forgive him for being shit like that if mm. he had the confidence to do it because like he's the rock have some confidence in yourself. You're the richest celebrity of all time. You and are if, the and biggest... if you're listening to
0: this in the future, you're the president, man. Yes. Come on. <laughs> you're the actual president of America.
1: Biggest superstar of all time. Like, literally in the last hundred years. That's yeah. such a massive thing to be proud of. You'd think that wouldn't be able to, like, be undone by you fucking up a promo. But yeah, it does. <laughs> and you can see in his eyes, immediately, <laughs> he's like, shit, I said cookie puss and it did not go down well. And... Oh that was kind of sad and the fans think it's lame and oh god and he's like cringing in his eyes you can see it like he's towering over CM Punk but he's got doubt in his eyes like <laughs> like he's he wants to the earth to open up and eat him and swallow him whole
0: I like that punk managed to stand across from the rock and still like with a smaller stature and not like being like so the opposite of the rock in terms of like what WWE produces as a as a mm. superstar but still stand his ground and seem like a big deal
1: he but, seemed like a way bigger deal than yeah, the rock because he, above he had values it. he had actual character that is him rather than the rock who is playing a character that was given to him 30 years ago which is very <laughs> like it's very uncool now i feel yeah. the character of the rock it yeah. hasn't aged well no it's not it's just cringy I mean, he, he was
0: calling uh God you know Some of the promos With the rock and punk We watched He was calling them Hermaphrodite Transvestite This that and And the other And I wasn't
1: even referring To the fact that What he says is just Gross and offensive I was meaning like It's just cringy And childish Like and the fact That he manages it To be that And also horribly Gross and offensive Is just like
0: Finally your dad Has come back To your 21st birthday I'm here now I'm one of the lads Am I I'm one of the lads (laughs) Let me show you Some pictures Of my naked son No
1: And meanwhile There's CM punk who's like actually what the fans want he's actually himself he's true to himself and what he believes in he's not afraid to talk not only for himself but for what he believes in and what he believes is right for people you know who who are beneath him you know technically that's
0: the most it seems like he resonated with you is when he was mm. in the ring with the triple h or the rock or someone like that he, you just you've got a bad vibe about mm. and he's speaking truth there and i think that is that's a big part of punk is that you kind of You just know this this guy's gonna if he's gonna say something about it, I'm gonna agree to fuck out of it. Like, you know, it's uh
1: Because like I do believe that people like Triple H and stuff like that, like there's a certain element of legendary status which I feel is earned. And like Shawn Michaels, like I think he's earned that legend status. But like I look at Triple H, and okay, we have not done an episode on him, but I don't feel he's earned that legendary status. I feel he just took it. I feel he just decided one day I'm a I'm a legend because I'm friends with the legends, <laughs> and that's just shit. And like if he can get away with doing that, then why can't CM Punk See, take himself seriously? We do
0: one CM Punk episode, she's here. Fuck Triple H. No. Fuck No, I've been
1: fuck Triple H You'll since fuck China. Fuck Colt
0: Cabana next. <laughs> no,
1: I love Colt Cabana. He's my boy. I will always be Team Colt till I die. He's my fave. <laughs>
0: So, what happens kind of from here is, you know, he loses the belt, uh, he gets a kind of a, a sabbatical after he feuds with The Undertaker, you know, covering himself in Paul Bear's ashes and all that. <laughs> I mean, him and, him and Heyman is great together, just because, you know, the two of them were all good times they'd had, and getting to see them together, doing their thing, making fun of Jerry Lawler for having a heart attack. <laughs> You yeah, know, all good. The, pun- the punch <laughs> side of which is Paul Heyman sitting up going, ah, <laughs> I didn't have a heart attack, you stupid son of a bitch. And Jerry Lawler
1: looking sad. That's so funny. <laughs> I want that picture of Jerry Lawler as my-, my phone background. It's so good. He looks so sad. But of course, what's happened
0: along this time as well, and after the sabbatical, it's, it's very much uh, apparent. You know, Punk comes back. We watched the Lesnar match. You were like, Jesus, he looks like, he looks tired. He looks kind of he looked kind of a bit like out of shape almost or just not he did, he lost his glow whatever it was yeah. and of course you know i made it sure that we sat down and we listened to that entire cult cm punk podcast like we were jurors at a at a trial because they had to listen to that entire thing as well and it's a slow build and all of that but when he starts talking about that year where he's on the road and he's like sick on, on antibiotics non-stop mm. um were you shocked at the the lack of care that was afforded to him, and like I think, even if you take, you know, you, you'd be the most generous fucking pinch of salt to be like, oh, pro WWE, you'd be like, oh, well, maybe he was exaggerating. Even if like half of what he was saying was true, it I feels... don't think he was.
1: I don't think he was exaggerating. I don't any think of so. It. I think that stuff happens all the time, and we don't hear about it. I think CM Punk is one of the rare few who felt like he could actually. Say something, but you don't.
0: You don't talk about being injured. You don't talk no, about being hurt. Of course you do because you're a
1: wrestler. It's part of the job, isn't it? And I think that's what's really sad is that it's it's one of those jobs where you know there is an element of pain that's expected, and you are expected to shut up and get on with it. But then. There's a point where that's taken too far, and I bet there are lots of wrestlers who probably would have much longer and happier, healthier careers if they had just been taken some time off. Well, probably wouldn't have to take seven
0: years off if they looked after him.
1: Exactly. And I feel you know what? It's it's probably less relevant now than it was about four years ago or five years ago, but there was a time when you couldn't go a week without a wrestler getting injured.
0: Yeah, we, we, we've we documented that on the mm. Patreon pay-per-view reviews. Yeah, if you reviews. go back to
1: the pay-per-view reviews... Everyone's hurt, it, that, it felt like yeah, that. Every yeah, every month there's someone, a big star getting hurt. And that's part of the reason, I think, why the WWE felt like they had to have this massive, bloated, swollen roster because, like, they didn't know who was going to get injured. They had to have backup stars. Yeah. And, like, you know, I, I think that was probably... The culmination of a lot of stuff like CM Punk was talking about. I think that was going on all the time. I think, I think it just wasn't. It's not. You just don't talk about it. Absolutely not. First of all, you don't do it as a wrestler, and you definitely don't do it when the WWE is your employer. Do
0: you, any of the incidents that he talked about in terms of his injury and their expectations of him or their handling of him? Were there any stories in the podcast that like stood out to you as particularly like egregious or shocking? Like, because then you said you expected it to an extent, but was there any it that was like a bit further than that?
1: I mean. The fact that doctors gave him such poor medical advice, mm. I think is sickening. Because I expect it of a corporation to cut corners and treat their employees like shit. Because it's a massive corporation and it's America, so it's going to happen. Yeah. But I do feel, you know, as a doctor, you know, you sign the Hippocratic Oath and you say, I will do no harm and mm. I will help people. And then you've got people who... Instead of
0: first do no harm, it's first take a Z-pack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, take, take antibiotics. Like. First
1: do your match and then we'll discuss about this, like medicine that you supposedly want and just like the idea of a doctor putting a guy on months and months and months of antibiotics it's
0: heartbreaking like you and i've been on antibiotics in the last couple of years and yeah it, it and fucks you up man. it does it
1: fucks you up and like he was talking really honestly on the cult episode about how you know that's why he shit himself in the ring because he was on antibiotics. It fucks with your stomach. I can totally see that happening. If you've been on antibiotics for a long time, you will know it really messes with your intestines and yeah. it makes you want to go to the toilet randomly. About, like,
0: rest and then just like coming back from yeah. the match to dry even for an hour. Blech. It's horrible. Like how could you? How could like never mind the doctor? How could anyone see that and not be like? What's going on here? And like
1: when you combine that with the lifestyle of being an active, you know,
0: superstar. And you're even, on the road e- even though he's got the bus and all that. Even yeah, but still
1: even still, you're on the road all the time. You're travelling. You never get to sleep in your own bed. You're always in hotel rooms. Like that's not the way to recover from injury or sickness Mm. you can't do it while working
0: and we're talking strictly about physical sickness here yeah
1: let alone mental illness and stuff like that you
0: know i think that we're the
1: crushing of dreams we're
0: barely barely scratching the surface but we're in a better place now i think in the rest of the industry of like talking about Mm. mental health a little bit more and it's taken a lot of like big fucking high profile moments for people to come out and like be able to say stuff you know AEW, i will say uh i've been really my heart's been warmed by hearing them be able to talk about things like you know to use for storyline that someone could say i'm an yeah. antidepressants and, yeah, and is, it's this, not this, just it's like, not like a, a joke oh no eddie kingston lost the match it's the damn zoloft has come back to bat him on the no, oh no it's, it's not. not
1: wise mr white don't kill yourself
0: it's just it's just real life isn't yeah. it like and you can talk about it honestly but like i think it's not gaslighting but that kind of "I'll owe you one, pal." That kind of mentality, where you know, we've seen it before. It happened a little bit in some places, like ECW, where it's like we've taken the fact that you just want to do this more than anything. We're gonna, we're gonna lean into that fact. I'm gonna give it a name, please. Corporate gaslighting. <laughs> yes, because yeah. it's the type
1: of thing you we're experience. We're like a family here. We're like on, a family yeah. here. yeah, like. You know, anyone who's... whether we've talked about this on previous episodes about the idea of working somewhere where you've always wanted to work and they know that and they just take the piss. They just... They will work you into the ground. Never
0: tell anyone yeah. you've always dreamed of working there. Yeah,
1: never tell them you love your job. <laughs> Just shut up. Don't tell them anything. The more they know, the more they'll use it against you. They might
0: give you the job easier, but they will fucking make it the worst experience of your life. Oh yeah,
1: and they'll make it seem like you should be fucking grateful for everything.
0: That's why when I was a male, but I didn't tell anyone how much I loved it. Good. (laughs) That's probably the only
1: reason you'd continued to enjoy it. They would have broken that spirit.
0: So yeah, like Punk, he walks out on the company in January of 2014 following on from a royal rumble match where he spent a significant amount of time beforehand saying please 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 cut this thing out of my back this lump that i have this is a man who spent you know weeks dry heaving shot himself in the ring for real confirmed that's happened you know and he's just he just wants to do this royal rumble match and the saddest thing i think is some bits of this podcast i'm trying not to dwell on the cold punk thing because that is just you know i've said my piece about that it makes me sad but um him talking about like having this idea in his head still that i'm in number one the royal rumble and maybe if i go out and i like put on this great showing and I do a really cool match that they'll go Psh, we just got to put this guy in the main event of because it's the one thing he wanted to do and even when he was champion they didn't give him that like mm. he was second down the card so that mentality like the fact that he was still at that point shows you that it was truly like it wasn't just a graduate it was he hit a he had a barrier there because he gets concussed in that royal rumble mm. match they take him out of the match against his will you know you've got a concussion so we're gonna choke sam you through a fucking table mm. and he shows up the next day and says i'm out of here i'm quit i'm done i don't i don't like this anymore
2: Good I, for
0: him. I don't like it and that's a real real important thing in wrestling i think people who don't like it anymore you know, give him a break. Give him time off. Yeah. We saw it. It's happened many times with, with wrestlers on the roster. Like Sasha Banks, there were times, clearly, she said it in interviews. Like, I hated wrestling. I didn't even know who I was anymore. Give me time off.
1: Brian Danielson. When yeah. he, just before he left WWE, he said...
0: He, I, felt, he felt nothing, I didn't felt he? nothing, yeah.
1: yeah. I didn't enjoy it.
0: I need to be chopped red until I feel something again. Literally, yeah. But, you know, Punk, he just... And I hate people that, ah, oh, he abandoned them, he took his body, went home. He didn't. They fired him. That's the important distinction here. He went home, he he. he went home, and he, he just didn't want anything to do with them. They fired him. Did you remember when they fired him?
1: Oh, on his wedding day. Classy. And it wasn't like, you know, because out of context, you can make excuses for them and go, well, so what? Like... They probably didn't
0: know. Oh, they
1: knew. Yeah. They knew he because there's this whole Vince thing. Vince
0: apologized apparently later.
1: There's this whole thing. If you listen to the cult episode with CM Punk, it, there's this whole thing where he was he found a, a out like a check that had expired. That you know old royalty old royalty check. Royalty yeah, yeah, check. Yeah. So he went to get that checked, and they were like, "Oh, dodging his questions and blue blah, bloody blah, blue," blah, and oh maybe we'll look into it and blah blah blah. And he was like, "Look, I just I need some money for my wedding that's coming up," and blah blah blah. And then two days before the wedding, they were like, "Oh." we've got an issue. Can you, can you come in for a chat? And he was like, well, I'm getting married in two days, so no. And then they, they find him on his wedding day. So they knew, they knew very well. And seeing as he was talking directly with Triple H, he absolutely knew very well because oh, yeah. Triple H would have known.
0: But this is what happens when you don't have that fucking father-son relationship with Vincent McMahon. If you're Steve Austin, you walk off, you don't get... The bureaucracy coming after you do you you well, don't. you don't he did get a bit he did a bit but not like the, with punk hair he like having to ring up fucking people and then they get you know lawyers put on the line and yeah. all that stuff you know so he 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 lawyered up pretty early on because he knew what was coming in retrospect in hindsight i know we did the co-episode i think i asked his question as well but like doing that podcast and coming out and speaking all the grievances i mean there's a lot of like there's a lot of collateral damage i think ryback's career was never the same afterwards <laughs> you know it's it certainly made a lot of people kind of go oh a lot of the stuff that we kind of think happens it just it does yeah it does you know the stuff that you might convince yourself nah, surely no it does it, it just does mm. But do you think there were points where he went too far? Do you think that it was something that was left well enough alone? I personally think you shouldn't have named the doctor. If you didn't name the doctor, you probably could have gotten away with it. They they wouldn't have had the ability to take it to trial as easily. I think.
1: I think there were a few different things they did that they shouldn't have done. Now, I think naming the doctor was one of them. I think they shouldn't have drawn comparisons to Owen Hart because I think that there's like little bits in the episode which is like it obviously makes Colt and CM Punk feel better. That's healthy, but that's the type of conversation that you keep among friends. Yeah, you don't um, put yeah. that on a podcast and name and shame a massive corporation owned by a billionaire because, like, it was the type of needling that is going to piss off the wrong people. Yeah. And, and he, you,
0: he's not the guy you can pick up and go, Vince, dad, no. let you, me talk. You, you know? don't
1: really want to be giving these people excuses to come after Shit, you, no. which is literally what they were doing.
2: They probably yeah. could have
1: addressed the issue and gotten away with it. If they'd just handled it a bit more carefully. If they'd had the foresight to realise, oh, this is gonna break the internet, we have to be careful about this. Yeah,
0: I think they kind of I think it was a downside of the fact that it was still like, hey, it's just the two of us. You know, it's t- the two of friends from Chicago. Before. This had never happened yeah, before. No? A
1: podcast going, like, viral like that, I don't think that it ever happened.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of you can kind of forgive their naivety to a point, I guess, mm. but I think it is kind of it's almost a self-imposed naivety. Like, I think neither guy wanted, like the, the podcast opens with them being sponsored by WWE 2K. Like for fuck's sake, lads, they're listening. You know? I am
1: really surprised given that Punk lawyered up pretty much immediately that he didn't then get them to listen though. They did, like, he didn't get them to be there when he was recording this to like, or like listen through to it. Like,
0: that's it, though. He's, he beats, he beats, uh, runs to the beat of his own drum, doesn't he? So he didn't do that, like, you know. But uh, yeah, th- you should have.
1: Like, that's absolutely, if I was worried about a contentious episode. Or if I had a check I, I wanted money, to get off someone still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was dealing with a corporation. And, and you know, because I do think that everything he said was pretty much true. Yeah, I don't think And was, I think yeah. he'd have had real grounds to stand on.
0: Well, WWE said it wasn't true, though, because we saw, didn't we? Uh, they uploaded footage. the footage of CM Punk's lower back. And that, for me, that had me convinced, Joe, you know. I think
1: it might be a deep fake. I
0: think the guy's a liar. Uh, mm. I saw his ass. Uh, yeah, I think it's a deep, <laughs> deep fake. <laughs> so, it, you know, as we've said in the co-episode, it, it ends spectacularly poorly, you know, uh, even though they win. And they win in the worst possible way. They win at the cost of, you know, their friendship and millions of dollars. And, you know, Punk's got millions, Cabana doesn't. And that's the kind of long and short of it, really. I think they're both in a healthier place, definitely, for sure. Mm. But I don't think, you know, um, you know, if anyone brings up CM Punk to Coke about an interview, I don't think he's going to say anything. I think vice versa. That's just the way it is I at the moment. I think there's
1: hope for them. I think they'll be friends again someday. I think you've just got to wait. These things take time.
0: I don't want to see it on a wrestling show, though. You know, if they do, do you know, it's, it's not know, If it ever fans. happens
1: on a wrestling show, I have faith it will happen first off screen. Yeah, yeah because
0: it's not for a fucking ratings this no thing, and know?
1: they genuinely have such strong feelings for each other and they're both authentic people <laughs> There's certainly I some strong see, feelings there now i yeah. just don't see either of them wanting to hash that out on a television show before they've just like talked it through themselves and you know like punk He hasn't said as much, but it's pretty fucking obvious he's in therapy.
0: Oh, yeah. Or at least, least, you know what? Someone who's definitely was a very positive influence on him and helped him, you know, realise he needed to leave and also what he needed to do. And that's his wife, AJ. AJ Mendez. you know, she she was a hugely positive relationship. Absolutely. Uh, But I,
1: I do think it really seems like he's had professional help as well because he does seem genuinely happier with his life. And I don't think it's just a case of, oh, he got out of wrestling and that was that, like he says himself he's worked through his issues and it's clear that he has. And
0: you know, it's, it's a long, It was a long seven years and I think it's something that people forget about that trial. Two things. Firstly, we watched The Dark Side of the Ring about the steroid trial recently which had lengthy interviews with Jerry McDevish the, the lead WWE counsel just giving you a taste of what WWE's legal representation is like. I know, right. I know that the doctor did get his own representation yeah. as well because I didn't think they wanted it just to look like oh, the, the WWE lawyers are coming down for you and all that, even though that's basically what it was. Yeah. But just knowing, like, you know, uh, I think it's a le- world of uh, of legal of legal deviousness that you or I and most people listening have absolutely no idea about, you know, as in the how difficult that battle would be, particularly. You're not just, you know, they beat the federal government is all I'm saying. You know, yeah. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They're very good at it. Yeah. Vince McMahon is not in jail and probably never will be. They're very good at it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that Punk was involved in his UFC career during that, and uh, he said in interviews at the time that he believed that a lot of the reason about the you know the, the trial being you know they they strung it out, the lawyers you know they took their time, they refiled, they changed things, all this shit just to to draw it out. So it meant that they had to spend more money. Oh, that's what
1: they do. You know, uh, any... and also
0: that you know Punk all of a sudden he's meant to be prepping for a UFC fight and he's fucking having to do legal prep yeah.
1: I mean look watch any show about legal battles in America yeah. and it's a theme that comes up like Better Call Saul has like episodes about yeah, big them. legal teams hired by corporations with endless money that's what they do that's how they win is they just bury, wear you out
0: they'll bury your lawyer in paperwork Who yeah. was? Who was obliged by law to have to read and go through mm-hmm. all of it, everything. and then charge you by the hour yep. Yep. you know that i, it's so I will astronomical. Fucking
1: give you everything we will drown you in paperwork
0: punk going to the ufc i think is like it's something that wwe i think they they behind closed doors i just can't help but think of like triple h what's that good
2: Looking yeah, get, probably
0: looking to get beat up. I mean I'm glad that the guy got to do something that he was passionate about and all that. But
2: well, it's kind of
1: a bit sad though as well cuz he probably did do it partly for the money cuz he had to because of the legal battle. I mean he
0: he said that when he left the company he he looked his bank account and he said I have enough to live for like three lifetimes. Like I I don't I oh, also really? don't need. And that's why he was doing stuff. He wrote like You know, Drax, Batista's character in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, he wrote, like, comics for Drax. Oh, I heard about that, yeah. He did a bunch of stuff with Marvel. He did all this. He just wanted to do stuff that he was passionate about. And he was passionate about MMA. And literally, you know, they said to him, do you want to wrestle? Do you want to fight in UFC? He's so... He's so sore. I know, and he's in so
1: much pain. Why would you do UFC? That's like way more painful. Like,
0: Batista, he did an MMA thing, but he just went off and did like it was like a special MMA show for Batista, Aww, you know, and he did it. Nice. And he got Punk to do it. Would never want to do that, but though. that was it. I think Punk was like he was a fan. He he wanted a big stage. He thought you know I'll show them. But um, I think it, what it was is the fact that you know Brock Lesnar had come and gone from there at the point. I think UFC fans didn't like that. UFC had been used a little bit to kind of build up the authenticity of WWE and they thought it was phony and they hated Lesnar and this that and the other and Punk coming in literally being like I'm a fan and I'm, I'm a celebrity and he, you know he came out to culture personality yeah. he, he, he wasn't Phil Brooks he was CM Punk in the octagon and he got the shit locked out of him.
1: Well, you say that, but I remember talking to a couple of MMA fans, because I was like saying that, I was like, because I worked an office job at the time, um, and there was a guy I worked with who was a UFC fan.
0: I know, you, got, you didn't get knocked out or anything, like you got to a No, that's a the thing, because
1: yeah. I, I watched the match, I was like, haha, I didn't know anything about CM Punk, I was like, ha ha! he got, you know, obliterated, and I was making fun of him to this guy, and he was like, well, I don't watch wrestling, but... This guy obviously isn't an MMA guy, but he lasted a minute. Which is a lot for the big leagues. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. That's like almost never happens.
0: You can't... You can't spin that narrative, unfortunately, on a big scale where it's like this, which on its surface seems unimpressive, is impressive especially because to... he is a guy who shouldn't by rights be there, and you know? And especially
1: to wrestling fans where we're used to it all being like over the top yeah. and like, you know, super big, loud, noisy punches and kicks and stuff. And it looks so fantastical. And then when you watch, I haven't watched much UFC, but like, I, as I said, I've watched the Punk match and it's so unassuming it's like it's it's like you can't even tell anything's really happening because like real fights it's aren't spectacular yeah. yeah it kind of happens you don't even see it
0: <laughs> i think like people just wanted to like kind of lead in and say ah, he totally embarrassed himself and i don't think that's the fact i think like, he did
1: amazingly like, yeah i
0: think he he set his mind on doing something he wanted to do that was by rights like impossibly difficult to do you know no more than ddp get interested at the age yeah. he did trying to get into ufc it takes something that's like you know, I know so many people who are like, oh, I'd love to give stand up a try. And then they finally go and they fucking do it. And it's like, you know, even if it's a bit kind of wonky, he's like, you fucking did it though. Yeah, you, well done. You know, achieving goals is great. And all I'll say is like, um, before everyone throws loads of stones at him for, I guess, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's easy to just go, ah, I wouldn't be able to do that, would I? Fuck it. You know, he could have sat in his mansion and on his millions and do yeah. nothing. But he went and he did stuff. He did stuff he was passionate about. Yeah. And I respect that, even if I don't necessarily get it. One thing I don't get is probably when he came back to do that Fox role with WWE. That was I, weird. I
1: feel like he was probably misled too. right? Like, everything I know about CM Punk says he wouldn't have agreed to do it if he had been told, honestly, that's what it was going to be.
0: Do you remember what it was like on Twitter when that was announced? Like, people were acting Everyone like he was, was back so in wrestling. was so
1: excited, yeah.
0: Like, if anything, it, it's so funny because when that happened, it, it almost took a little bit of the sting out of, like, when they started teasing, they had, like, Darby Allin saying, I want to fight the best in the world. Yeah. There were some people who were like, well, he's not actually going to show up because... They had already very recently been let down by a return, inverted commas. No more so than being let down by Daniel Bryan, apparently going to leave WWE, meet Bryan Danielson again. He would never fucking do it. And then he finally did. So I think like, <laughs> it was almost like kind of a, a fake out in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to lie to you, even though watching through all of this stuff and, you know, I got goosebumps many times re-watching some of this punk stuff with you and I kind of discovered the nostalgia I didn't realize I had. Um, it still makes me cringe to fuck like the rock when uh, I hear him go, just when you think you got the answers, I change the culture.
1: Okay, do you know what? No, 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 no. I've decided. No, 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 no. I've decided. Look, to save us all the hassle. Please. What he was doing is he was playing them. <laughs> so, so so, you know you know how Triple H was like it's the man the title that makes the man the man that makes the turtle whatever way around the, it the, is the,
0: the role as an yeah. a, a on-screen consultant for Fox so, makes the man whatever.
1: so by Punk signing with WWE
0: he did it was it was Fox not WWE sorry Fox
1: but working with WWE and then being really cringy and embarrassing and making them look bad because that's their style of sports entertainment is being cringy and bad and then him leaving and going to AEW to be awesome best he's ever been make them look amazing maybe that's his way of being like look see the best in the world can be in wwe and just come across like shit you probably
0: don't want me to be in WWE, yeah. basically look
1: see it's it would be crap if i was instead well, like, why don't people like me go where we're wanted
0: the, apparently how it came about and i know this is from um, renee's great podcast that she does oral sessions and she had him on a couple of times and she was like oh, we did that thing on fox and he was like well apparently they hired me Fox because they had spent so much money on getting the WWE television contract and they were putting on this show to be like kind of the after show and the the analysis and all that. They said they wanted them to WWE to be on their toes and have a guy on there who was outspoken. The fans knew and knew would call them out on their bullshit and that's why they wanted him. But they only used him like four times or something at the end. And like the most spicy thing they got out of him was like, ah, yeah, Seth Rollins is all right or whatever. You know, just
1: that's the thing because there's gonna be these like these. Hard boundaries in place That's that it. no one's never going to be able to get around. A
0: guy who's not interested in a product whatsoever. Like there's so many times where like the stuff that I won't review because like you don't want to hear me be like, eh? yeah. Like, you're about- Do you want to hear that? Eh? No, probably not. Like no. so, they they ended up not using them barely at all. But I think like you're right. I think it almost like built the groundwork for an even more impressive return mm. to AEW. And it made it
1: WB look like shit. It did, I right? mean, it made him look really cringy and bad, but like. So what? He's come back now in AW. He's awesome. Yeah, that's so he's, it. he's undone any bad will. I don't really care about like that. I want to know
0: what's going to happen next week on Dynamite. Yeah, exactly. yeah I want to see what's important. Like that's it. I'm excited to see what this character in wrestling does. And the thing he said in the interview was like, well, if I came back to WWE, there's only one money match, and that money match is me versus Triple H. And as if I could give a fuck about watching. Like he's older now. He is. A, he's a, definitely healthier. But like you know his body's probably not what it was when he got squashed by triple h in 2011 yeah. triple h can barely move his fucking arms i don't want to see that no, i want to see him no and Eddie way. kingston or him and him and jungle boy or him and adam cole or, like, there's all these great wrestlers i'm so like it's been so healing for wrestling as a whole to see that guy just back and be like look hey wrestling didn't fucking destroy me forever i yeah. can actually you know when you, if you've ever lost a passion about anything in life and that's happened to me you know i don't say think of myself as cm punk But, you know, when I was 20 years old, I was passionate about one thing and it was not wrestling podcasting. I thought I was going to be involved in this other world, which slowly stamped the passion out of me. And not in a very confrontational way, just in a way that just kind of made me depressed and made me unhealthy. And I'm much healthier, happier from being outside of that. And I think it's just... It's nice to see that, he, you know, someone can lose something and find it again. Mm. You know, that the story of CM Punk was not, he was bitter and upset and miserable and the end. And it didn't take him to be an old man like Bret Hart to come back and you get to see that. Punk gets to see do that and still wrestle. Mm. That's pretty much a dream. There's fans who we're friends with who were like in tears when Punk returned. Yeah,
1: most of our friends cried when he came back.
0: It was a big fucking deal.
1: Yeah, which is what, you know, CM Punk would fucking love that.
0: I'm I'm not that fan, but like I get it, like, you know, I get it. You know, for a few people.
1: He referenced in one of his promos, I forget which one, but like when he was with Ring of Honor and he left he like he made fans cry and he's yeah. like I love that so much I love making people cry so yeah because I, mean, I know there was a bit of a controversy apparently people were making fun of people crying yeah and there was a back, guy they like... cut
0: to and he was crying and the punk was like you make fun of him you make fun of me I cry
1: <laughs> like fake fans making fun of people crying over CM Punk when he clearly loves it
0: imagine caring about something I thought fo- I, I, cool. I you know what I, the best thing about the last five years or so is that I just felt like I'm a little bit more in touch with my emotions and if wrestling's going to make me cry It's gonna make me cry. Am I gonna cry because I think that Rusev is leaving? Yes, I am, thank you very much. And and you don't judge me and you don't judge the guy who was crying when CM Punk came back. They are both very valid times to cry in wrestling. So the future is bright for CM Punk it seems
1: Yeah, it's it's not I'm really happy for him. He's so fucking yeah, you know, he's over the moon, and that's lovely, but more lovely for me, selfishly, is that my friends are over the moon.
0: Like and I'm glad that WWE doesn't get to benefit. Yeah, from fuck this. you, WWE. They don't, they don't, fuck you. There's so many times where like people have left in bad circumstances, but you kind of feel, well, they owe this, to that, and the other. Like, I felt like they did everything they could so often to undermine yeah. him. Like, even the special documentary they gave him called Best in the World, yeah. and half of it is people Burying in him. power going, eh... that's michael hayes by the way (laughs) so yeah turns out the kid from chicago knew a little bit about wrestling after all a little bit more than that fucking crazy old man in stamford connecticut who'd have thought about it let's get into your tweets about the best in the world CM Punk
1: First up from our good friend James D. Leach
0: Oh James we, uh, Big thank you to James for giving us some Ring of Honor materials And also for watching CM Punk's return to AEW uh, that Yeah was, uh, that was, that was very pay-per-view. special
1: was getting to watch his return with actual punk fans yeah, like that was, proper punk that was fans. the most
0: important prep for this episode yeah, possible was. honestly genuinely
1: that was that was the true research for this episode <laughs> so from james he says punk has an IRL fairy tale story but more brothers grim than disney started his own backyard promotion gained a rep from word of mouth and hard work embraced the craft of wrestling with a passion then had that love slowly stamped out of him by a corporation he was the start of an influx of indie guys who wouldn't have gotten a shot in WWE before keeping the goofy name he used in the backyard and becoming a world champion. It was heartbreaking to see him fall out of love with the business but so gratifying to see him return.
0: It is definitely not a not a not a fairy tale you'd be reading a kid unless you got a long time to explain all the road bumps along the way but uh, yeah. it, is, it is a happy story in the end involving a man who spent a lot of that story being very unhappy to be fair. Mm. A side note what do you think CM stands for? Do you know? Hmm <laughs> The wheels are turning.
1: I just imagine it's a name, but his name's Phil, so it's obviously not. It's not not Phil, no. (laughs) Crispy Man.
0: Crispy Man. There was many speculations Over the years As to what it meant uh, Cookie Monster My favourite was uh, Matt Stryker When he was on Commentary of Punk Referring to him as Charles Montgomery Punk Mr <laughs> Burns But it was uh, In the best way possible The re- the real Meeting was found In released Court documents Which oh. uh, It's Chick Magnet Because when Magnet. When Punk was originally Doing his backyard Days Him and another lad Were a tie team Called the Chick Magnets And there was Chick Magnet Punk And Chick Magnet The other one uh, oh. So cm but i like that the stick into the, it's like foley you know always being cactus jack in the back yeah. of his mind it's like when there's something about wrestlers who hold on to that like no no this is this is this is my wrestling yeah. name. this this is important oh my god thank god they didn't take his name away from him jesus mm. christ that, that literally would have changed wrestling forever if they what? took his name away what
1: would they have given him what name
0: i'm gonna call him some fucking shit like brett spencer or something you know first na- first name's surname. No one gets over it with a without a first name and a surname. Actually it's two years later. No one gets over it without a first name. Actually I wanna name all my wrestlers adjectives from now on. <laughs> I'm an old crazy idiot.
1: <laughs> oh god next up from jeff maxfield
0: oh former sponsor of the episode jeff indeed Uh, you can sponsor uh, an episode over on our patreon page
1: to be honest cm punk was the catalyst that got me back into wrestling a local talent to me although i ended up catching his indie stuff later on his rise and fall and then rise again felt very relatable to me as a creative person with
0: passions i think that's uh like that's almost as important about like what punk did himself but like even though we're, he talks a lot of shit about the company and we disparage the company a lot and rightfully so in this episode, but like you think about the WWE that you came into watching that NXT that was filled with like every cool name, not just from America but from you know Japan all around the world, that kind of vision that like hey the independents that's where we get wrestling from and you know even Daniel Bryan main eventing a WrestleMania, him being the champion, Seth being the champion, all that stuff it felt like it's only possible because CM Punk came and kind of retrospectively, they realized, oh, wait, yeah, guys like that, they can work for us. Mm. I think the difference between Punk and all those other guys is that they're a lot more agreeable. Uh, Brian Danielson, of course, who has nothing... He's like, you know, had similar experiences to Punk, but loves the company. You know?
1: Yeah, well, he, he's married to a Bella his, twin. His so. father-in-law
0: <laughs> is Johnny Ace. Yeah. He has a book, apparently, a little book that he has made, Brian Danielson, that is just full of things that Vince McMahon taught him. Really? His own little book. Oh
1: my fucking God. Imagine he's so, what's he's, in there. Well,
0: Brian,
2: you never want to eat any vegetables. <laughs> They're the devil. <laughs> never sleep.
0: Also, sneezes fear them.
1: <laughs> Next up from our other good friend, Noah Likes Lego, who's written for the website. Ah, thank you, getting Noah. all sorts today. We're
0: fucking dream team here. It's a big episode, so we got the big names coming out here in the tweets. I like it.
1: So, Noah says, I have no real statement on his qualities as a wrestler, just that I recognise that he has had a fundamental impact on how I consume wrestling.
0: And Noah's, like, Noah, Noah's like uh, from a younger generation than us. Like, Indeed, Noah, yeah. Yeah, so this is interesting to see the, the reverberations Gen throughout Z, the years. Gen Z, yeah.
1: He opened Pandora's box and now it gives me the biggest smile on my face watching him do what he truly, truly loves. I won't lie, his return made me tear up. Not because this was, like, my all-time favourite returning or anything, but because what you saw on the screen was a man finally finding some sort of closure and a certain strain of happiness that he had lost a long, long time ago.
0: More closure in wrestling. Fucking A. Yeah. Nicely said. Next up
1: from Via, I have a hard time with him because he represents a very particular brand of straight edge that does not fit with the friends and the involvement that I had in the culture, helping running with gigs, etc. His assholeness probably hurts more than it helps in terms of questioning the alcohol norm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there are plenty of instances. I think we had a Kevin Owens interview on like, the other night where he's just like, oh yeah, this guy's just, you know. I like and all that he's just really fucking rude like you know tore strips into me in front of everyone that type what? of a thing you know lots of instances like that i mean yeah and i think i think you can explain elements of that you know go, like, oh he was young and you know and this that and the other and then like oh he was in a company he's all pissed off i like to think and i hope that all this kind of this growth that he's experienced means that he's maybe you know Uh, less standoffish to folks but Mm -hmm. judging from the Lulu Pencil blogs I think that he is fine with talking with people from all walks of life backstage (laughs) these days
1: Next up from Jeshka Zak a WatchMojo Top 10 list of wrestling's biggest controversies, which included CM Punk's appearance on the art of wrestling, led me to start watching wrestling content on YouTube. Hey,
0: wow! And Punk
1: <laughs> clips. So thanks to Punk, I'm a wrestling fan. Oh, Imagine getting nice. into wrestling like that.
0: That's amazing. That's
1: so interesting. It like, would like have- formulate your whole trajectory I, as a fan
0: it, it's oftentimes the most interesting things in wrestling and I hate that there's so much collateral damage for it but like you know real life drama and shit like mm. that that's that's kind of what it is just you know maybe this one shouldn't be turned into a storyline yeah all. <laughs> for
1: sure next up from I wish I was a polar really excited for how to CM Punk I think of him as the Stannis Baratheon of wrestling oh no, he's uncompromising in what he thinks is right and hence ends up falling out with everyone <laughs> though he burns bridges rather than
0: people how do you see the CM Punk relationship in AEW ending? Do you see him like falling out or do you see him just kind of... You know, drifting into an elder statesman role, like what would you say the future? I'm for sure he'll gives? make
1: some enemies. He yeah. will always make enemies. I think that's just like the type of person he is. He is who he is. He doesn't mind the fact that he is who he is, and he's not afraid of
0: that fact. So I, I can't do... imagine CM Punk and Cody Rhodes being best mates somehow. I don't know why. That's just
1: <laughs> interesting. I would see them being quite good friends, not best friends, but like I can imagine yeah. them respecting each other on because they both. He's, take he's a different
0: each... guy now. I need to remind myself and of that they like, both like, take
1: yeah. themselves quite seriously. Mm. Like that was something that was like I feel like coming into this episode, I feel a lot of people go, "Oh, CM Punk, like he takes himself so seriously." Like Brett did, like Brett did, and I don't think that's. Really fair to say. Like, I think in some ways he takes himself seriously. I think he takes his career yeah. very seriously. I, that's something
0: about that, that podcast and the uh, subsequent interviews where he's like, fucking pay me. You know, uh, maybe so said was listening to it on a day where I was like fucking chasing someone for like a mm-hmm. freelance job and they just would not pay me. It'd been weeks and the like, CM punk being like saying to a million dollar corporation, fuck you, pay me. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, fuck you, pay me. But like,
1: he is happy to make fun of himself. Like, yeah. the the bit where he talks about shitting himself in the ring, he like, makes that. jokes about it constantly, which is like that's such a humiliating and public thing to happen to you and he's fine with making fun of
0: it and I mean, That just says
1: so much about him like he doesn't take himself as seriously as people make out we
0: need a wall of fame for the wrestlers who've shit themselves or made another wrestler <laughs> shit themselves you know because like mark henry didn't sh- did like tommy dreamer didn't shit himself mark henry made tommy dreamer shit himself mm, True. there's a difference
1: <laughs> now from off color jojo i'm glad i could appreciate his return and i'm so happy he's back with a company that has also restored my passion for modern wrestling to me he's all the edgy kids who grew into tired adults carrying on with the hope that things will work out in the long run as long as we have the courage to chase our passions freely unafraid of criticism or of the selfish desire to look out for number one even if it's not popular with everyone else even if it means having to take yourself just a bit too seriously
0: fucking hell beautifully said absolutely i mean yeah that's like you know what it's funny um we're dealing with a guy here who seems to be involved with bringing two waves of people back into wrestling yeah. in 2011 and 2021, 10 years apart. And I feel like he's brought in a raft of wrestling fans both times. And that, I can't think of anyone who's ever done that before with that length of time in between. That's incredible. That's yeah. absolutely incredible. And I think it says so much about how much he resonates yeah. with so many generations yeah you know? absolutely yeah. the fact that someone who's like probably pushing 50 wearing a minor threat t-shirt and some like little gen Zer, you know who's heard about gi joe for the first time and they're both like yes cm punk he's our guy he yeah. speaks to our generation no wonder he got pepsi the voice of a generation <laughs> voice of three generations
1: <laughs> lastly from barely sushi all i keep coming back to is the thought that punk and i have a lot in common I, too, was an angry, straight-edge asshole for a lot of my life, which is probably why I liked him so much. I'm hoping that he's grown to be a better person like I've tried to.
0: Oh, that, that, that shit that you don't expect wrestlers to inspire people to do, like, you know? But inspire, it's like, you know, I don't know, like, kind of deal with things a bit differently. But, like... I've never had a wrestler on this show that we've we've covered where like people are like he made like not just like oh, I enjoyed wrestling more like my life is better mm. like, he's made me a better person again that was never me mm. I have to think that I don't think CM Punk has made you a better person or anything like that
1: no I think though if I had grown up with him he I can see he would have had a big influence on me I'm sure
0: yeah I think he was probably like he was an important part of a lot of people's lives and I think honestly that's part and parcel as well of why it was so difficult for him to be away for as long, you know, just in terms of the the trolling he got from fans mm. and the non-stop abuse he got, being told he's a quieter and all this stuff, is because I think he like he really reached a lot of people who felt really, really angry and betrayed. And like, you know, we try and look at things as objectively as possible on this podcast. And there's so many times, and not just this on other podcasts that I do, where it's like, fuck, that's the WWE narrative. I've just been spouting it for years. I've been thinking this thing that's just not true, that you say it is, mm. and you just kinda of go, Yeah, they say it on the show, so it's true and yeah i'm glad that kind of punk is broken free of that Mm. and that's not you know that's not what his career is going to be defined by now because i think one of the reasons why brett came back the way that he did and wanted to mend bridges is that he knew that his career was owned lock stock and barrel all the footage by wwe and now punk has basically said well i was a wrestler until 2005 in ring of honor and now i'm a wrestler again in 2021 that bit in the middle yeah I don't don't care about it.
1: Yeah, I think that's... It says a lot about, like, just why AEW is as special as they are to, like, that type of fan. Mm. Because, like, they are the other option. For the first time in 30, 40 years, we've got an alternative to the corporation. A proper,
0: viable alternative. A viable one. That seems to have an idea of, like, uh, you know, at the top what, what it means. And
1: okay, yes, it is still another corporation, but at least it's an avenue for wrestlers who have been hard done by in the WWE... To leave and join there out of spite, and I feel <laughs> everyone deserves the chance yes. to do something out of spite, and that's the saddest <laughs> thing about that's the saddest thing about WWE having such a monopoly over the industry is there was no option for that. Revenge. Yeah, you couldn't even go
0: on Twitch and talk about no, it for fuck's sake. You so. can't, you can't
1: do anything. Whereas now you actually can. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Well, wrestling is certainly, I think, better off because of the involvement of CM Punk, and our next episode <laughs> is going to be very, very different indeed we went from talking about a guy who at one point was complaining about outsiders coming in and not understanding this business and ruining it and we're going to talk about in our next episode the original ultimate outsider who somehow made his way into the world of wrestling and tangled up with someone who joe has and i quote not a lot of time for we're going to be spending next episode dealing with the comedic brilliance and wrestling career of andy kaufman the former intergender wrestling champion Of the world. Our next episode, we're going to be looking in depth at the impact for celebrities and for outsiders in the involvement of Andy Kaufman in wrestling. We're going to try and track down some old timey Memphis classics and see his involvement with the likes of Jimmy Hart and Jerry the King Lawler down in Memphis and see the real life controversies and public eyes that got on wrestling for the first time ever because of one weird man and a neck brace. So, how to Andy Kaufman is our next episode any thoughts feelings any particular segments or matches we're gonna hit the big ones obviously we're gonna watch my breakfast with freddie Blassie, obviously but anything else you think might be appropriate do let us know using the hashtag how as this is kind of an area old school memphis wrestling i don't think i've ever really watched anything from this at all before if you know or you know of an expert who knows about specialist knowledge from memphis wrestling i'd be more than willing and very very grateful if you could reach out how to at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at how it's been an absolute blast talking about this episode and if you want to support the show help keep it ad free and 100% fan and listener support it do not forget to head over to patreon.com forward slash how where you can check out an absolute ream of content going all the way back to 2015 all of our pay-per-view reviews it feels like talking about all this kind of history of wrestling and you know, I know Adam recently from the Outdoor Podcast he went back he listened through all of our old yeah. pay-per-view reviews and he's like this is a really weird wild time I think we're somewhat psychic at points in those pay-per-view reviews yes
1: <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I'm really interested I think at some point we should do like a piece of content that's just us going back and listening yeah, to them yeah check out those old ones yeah. and see,
0: see how the world of wrestling has changed since 2015 mm-hmm. if you can believe such a time existed <laughs> as well as that you got the, the Big Show Show you've got video updates and Q&As with myself and Joe and our favourite fabulous side series pay-per-view classic where we go back and review classic wrestling pay-per-views you want to hear joe gush about vince mcmahon circuit 2002 or 1998 heat wave 1998 our most recent episode and a lot of new generation gold wcw halloween havoc and more besides a great series available now all over at patreon.com slash how to wrestling thank you so much to all of our lovely backers who continue to support us well joe That's one of the biggest episodes ever And it's in the can We've done it We've talked about CM Punk Finally you know what the pipe bomb is It's
1: when he did a poo in the ring isn't it
0: yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I, I, look, I've learned nothing. As long as you've learned nothing, that's all I care about.
1: <laughs> Knowing what I know about CM Punk, I'm pretty sure he'd find it hilarious that I, I'm going to refer to the pipe bomb forever. Yeah, you're just vindicating that, that's all this yeah, is. Yeah, because he found it funny, so now I feel like I'm not being mean. It's like he's in on the joke.
0: In the hands of anyone else, this is just a small piece of shit. In anyone else's <laughs> hands, it's a pipe bomb. It's, this shit is power. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've made her giddy with shit, gang, so we might as well finish up now. Until next time, we're going to be looking at the one and only Andy Kaufman. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.